This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. If you guys are just joining me for the first time, I'm John from BulldogMindset.com. On this channel, I teach you how to be a man. I teach you how to build financial independence, how to get the physique you want, how to get the girls you want, how to go from the victim mindset to the bulldog mindset. So here's the thing, right? Uh, this is, this is uh, something that a lot of people don't like to hear, okay? Because I'll have coaching clients, right, who have paid me money, all right, uh, a lot of money to coach them on how to build a business, how to become successful in, in real estate investment, successful with women, you know, how to get in shape, and, and they want results, okay? And so that's why they're paying me the big bucks is because they want me to deliver them results, and, and I want to deliver you results. Of course I do. So when they ask me a question like this, or even before they ask me a question like this, I end up saying this thing because it's so, so important, okay? Because I'm not going to hold back. One thing about me is like, I will tell you the truth, okay? I don't care if I'm going to lose you as a client because it's my job to kick your ass, all right, and to tell you the hard truth that other people aren't going to tell you. And you might not like it, and that's fine, okay? Uh, but if I don't do that, I am doing you a disservice. So here's the thing. This is what I tell them. Don't focus on the results. Instead, Focus on the work and the work itself has to be enough. Even if you never get results, the work itself has to be enough for you. And this is where their jaw drops and they they start to get upset and they say, but, 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 but John, I, I, I want to be successful. I want to make money. That's why I paid you money. It's so I can make money. Or I want to get the girls. I want to be successful at that. That's why I paid you money. It's so you can show me how to do that. You can teach me these things. This is why I'm here. I'm not here to just do the work and not get any kind of result. All right. And I get it. Okay. And, and let me tell you, I, for the most part, will, will, will be able to get you a result if you're willing to do the work. Okay. But if your focus is on the result, it's in the wrong place and you're probably not going to become successful because it, it's the wrong place to focus and it's not going to make you fulfilled or happy in life. All right. <laughs> and, and that's more important because you can have all this success and you can have all the results you want. But if you are miserable, what does it matter? If you're unfulfilled in life, what does it matter? And, and I say this from personal experience because I have had a lot of success. I've reached a lot of my goals. I've achieved a lot of my goals. I've done a lot of things that I thought were impossible. And before my mindset changed, before I had the bulldog mindset, okay, I did these things and it made my life worse, not better, okay? Because I realized how pointless life was. Because I was looking for something to fulfill me and it wasn't because no matter what you achieve, no matter what you get, right? It doesn't matter. It's, it's who you become. And that's what the work is about. So, so again, I'm going to give you the best advice that I can. Okay. I've been successful. I've built a lot of businesses. I've helped a lot of people build businesses and to make money. I've invested in real estate. I've done the things that you want to do. And I'm going to give you the best advice that I know how to give you about that. But even with that in that advice, you still can't be focused on the result. The, the result cannot be the thing that, that drives you. It has to be the work itself. That has to be enough. And your focus has to be on the work, okay? And, and who you become 
in that process, because that's the thing that's actually going to bring you fulfillment in life. And that's, that's ironically, okay, or maybe paradoxically going to bring you the result as well. If you're focused on the result, you won't get the result or, or you're going to have a lot less chance of getting that result. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. One of my favorite things about the renaissance we're living through is just how much it's like a music festival. Everyone who's been to a music festival knows that you always go for the handful of bands you want to see, but the excitement of being at a festival is hearing the buzz around bands you've never heard of and then going to check them out. At the 21 convention this past October, something similar happened. I heard guys like Anthony Johnson and George Bruno talking about Bulldog John. I like to think I've heard of most of the names in this space, but I hadn't heard that one. Then John and I met, and I found he was a high-energy, fit, and positive guy, exactly the sort of speaker that makes the 21 convention so special. But then when I checked out his content on YouTube, I was stunned to find that he had an impressive story of transformation to back up his character. You'd never know what to look at him today, but John's journey began as a programmer, overweight, depressed, and a mess. But at a certain point, he decided he'd had enough of all that, and set out to become the best version of himself he could be and embody his ideal of holistic masculinity. Today, he's a men's coach, entrepreneur, published author, public speaker, and ultra-marathon runner. He's built businesses, retired young, and traveled the world. And he's still not done. And this is a story I can very much relate to. Together, we also had what I think might have been one of the most important conversations I've yet hosted on my podcast. We started talking about John's transformation journey to become the man he is, the need to cultivate courage in cold approaching women, and how to confront our fears to live a little bit closer to freedom. But then we got into a conversation about anger, and it wasn't a conceptual conversation either. We talked about what place it has, if any, in the lives of men as it relates to our evolving and in some sense devolving environment today, with viruses, masks, political betrayals, and this creeping sense that something isn't right. The result was like two men rolling jujitsu with their life philosophies. Getting a conversation like this on tape is a bit like catching lightning in a bottle. I felt exhilarated afterwards, and a little bit more alive. Because that's what it means to be men today. To have our ideas and believe in them passionately, and then mutually put them to the test for the purpose of making us both better. So it brings me great pleasure to share this conversation with you in the hopes that it reflects conversations you've had with the men in your life, or at the very least, that it helps inspire them. With that, I'd like to welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, John Sonmez of Bulldog Mindset. Hey, John, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. Glad to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you because... When I started the Renaissance of Men, when I started this podcast, I really wanted to talk to men who had been on their own journey of transformation. And I find that most men in this space have in one way or another. But of all the men that I've met so far, you've been on the transformation journey that I think is the most striking because it's the most visible. Mm. As I look through the photos of you when you were younger, when you were a programmer, when you were quite overweight, and I saw the transition to you as you are now, but going through your YouTube videos, I've been able to see that transformation progress in stages, even from when you did the Tony Robbins video, just to see right. how much you've changed even since then. And I wonder if you could just walk them in listening through the journey that you've been on over the past, what, five to seven years, because it's been about much more than fitness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a really long, long journey. It, it's crazy. You know, I was just talking to someone 
the other day that was asking me how to how to change their their appearance it was actually a, a guy that that he sort of gives off this kind of uh gay vibe right and it's you know not not his fault but he was like how do i change this john and i was trying to explain to him how you know for me for instance like my voice changed without me trying to change my voice that the internal changed the external and so that's been sort of my whole journey is just focusing on the the internal and then the external changing because i've tried to change the external by my by myself first and and so that's kind of where i started is the the first transformation that i had actually was was way back before probably even the the photos that are on the internet was when i was in high school i was this very shy kind of dorky kid i wasn't in any kind of sports or athletics and and i remember waking up one morning and having this thought in my head of why not me and that sort of started everything. Now, at that point, it was a very immature transformation because it was mostly focused on external validation and, and the external. But that powerful thought still was, was sort of the thing that, that sparked everything else that came from that. It had to, you know, had to happen and that seed had to germinate. And so I remember that, that day waking up, you know, thinking that thought, why not me? You know, thinking about like all the jocks and, you know, cool kids in high school. And it's like, there's nothing really different about me, right? Like genetically 99.9% the same, right? There's, there's just, it's just my perception, right? There's, there's no reason that could stop me from, from being that who I wanted to be. And so I sort of came up with this idea of envisioning who I wanted to become. And, and when I say who I want to become, I don't mean like someone else. I mean, like a future version of myself, right? And in fact, it was so crazy because I came up with this concept way back then. And then maybe it was like four or five years ago, I saw Matthew McConaughey give an acceptance speech for an award. And, and they, and he said about people asked him who his hero was. And he said, it's me five years from now, or it's me 10 years from now. And, and I was like, that's exactly the concept that's, you know, and, and that's, you know, so it was amazing to, to see that he had come up with the same concept, but that's, I had this idea. And so I formed this vision in my head. And of course, at this time, you know, being in high school, it wasn't a very mature vision. I didn't really know what masculinity was. I didn't know, but I knew what it looked like to be one of those cool kids. And I could see myself as one of those. And so I had this idea in my head and I started acting as if I was already that person, almost like an actor playing a role. I started pretending like that very day, I started pretending like I was this new John that I wanted to become in the future because I could, I could see what he was like. And again, like I said, very immature vision at this point, it hadn't been refined, but it was sort of became the template for all the transformations that followed. And that day forward, I changed, right? It wasn't a, a complete change and it was mostly external, right? So I started playing sports. I started being more extroverted and stopping as shy and I stopped being as lazy and I started dressing better and I started acting and talking and walking like the person I wanted to become. And within a few years, I actually became that person. Now, the problem with that transformation was that it was mostly focused on the reasons for doing it were because I wanted external validation. I wanted people to like me. I didn't do it for myself. I didn't do it for any kind of real personal growth. I just wanted to fit in and, and be this guy. But I found that even with that bad motivation, what I call you know, the, the, weaker, the weaker motivations in life, that that I, it was still possible and it still worked. Right. And so I became that person just by acting, you know, like I was that person and I had that transformation. And then what happened after that was that 
because that transformation was so much focused on the external. And I even got in the gym, I lifted weights. I started, I looked pretty good, you know, at that point, but because it was so focused on external and external validation and it wasn't, I didn't really make an internal change. I made mostly an external change. I I hadn't really developed the, the mindset. It didn't really last. And so pretty soon I found myself getting to the, the place where, where you've probably seen the, the transformation pictures where I, where I got fat, I got, I, I became a programmer. I, I still had some changes that to change some work ethics, some things, right. Some con- concepts, you know, the way I saw myself definitely changed. And I had this idea that was, that was powerful that I knew worked. And, and so I, I hit this, this point where I, I got overweight and I just kind of let everything go. And, and I had this one, this kind of moment of clarity where I remember buying these size 40, I think it was 46 pants because the 44s wouldn't fit me. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment that I was like, John, you're fat, right? Because up until that point, I would look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I just got a little bit of a belly or whatever. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, justification, right? You know, lying to myself about all these things. Like, you know, I call it this, this idea of like thinking that everyone's going to be a rock star. Everyone thinks they're going to be a rock star someday, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of this mindset, like we all think that someday our life is really going to begin. Someday we're going to get all the things that we want in life, right? We're going to be a famous actor or a rock star. Like we don't really believe it, but we kind of believe that we deserve it and and somehow it's going to happen or that, but we don't really realize that like, there's no dress rehearsal. This is your life. And if you're ever going to experience those things, if you're ever going to become rich, if you're ever going to get all those girl, the, the beautiful girl that you want, if you ever want to have that, like you're going to have to make it happen now because it's just not, it's not owed to you. It's not going to happen. You might not get another chance, right? In fact, you know, as far as I know, you don't get another chance. And so that sort of struck me really hard because I realized I was lying to myself. And that's where sort of that second transformation came. And that was more of an internal transformation for sure. And that's where I lost the dramatic weight. I got in shape. I started running. My mindset changed a lot. I started building a business. I started becoming financially successful because I knew that I had to do this. It, it was, it became life or death for me. It became like, if I continue down this path, I see where this is going. I'm never going to get the things that I want in my life. Right. And this was around, around 30 or so, maybe, maybe my, my late twenties. And, 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 you know, like I said, that struck me and, and that completely changed my life. And then what ended up happening still was that a lot of that change and, and this is, it, it came in cycles, right? It's like you go underground, you know, I think, you know, Elliot Hulse is a really good example of this because if, if you followed Elliot Hulse over the years, he was a big inspiration to me, but he went through these, you know, he called them catharsis and, and it's like you go underground and then you come up and, and, and he went through various stages and transformations is the same thing in, in life for me. And so after this, this stage, what ended up happening was I was, I was now able to achieve the things I wanted. I got money. I got girls. I got, you know, I, I got in, in great physical shape. I was building businesses, but I wasn't happy because I wasn't, I was looking at these goals and I was achieving these goals and I was getting all these things I wanted, but I wasn't focusing on really the most important thing. Like I was doing things and achieving goals for what I could get instead of what I could become. Mm-hmm. I still had the wrong focus. And so I really started getting into a lot of personal development and, and kind of spiritual books as I sort of walking, started walking down this path and, and started discovering some of the things. Got really into Stoic philosophy at this point. I read a book, an excellent book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacles Away. And that completely transformed my viewpoint. Right? I was like, some of the things already resonated with me, but then I said, wow, this is like the fundamental truth of life. Is Stoic philosophy is, is pretty 
pretty damn near close to the most fundamental truth that, that I found in life. And so I started living my life by that philosophy. And what I started to realize at that point was that I was kind of going through life and I never really felt like a, like a man, right? I would see other guys. I'd be like, this, this guy seems like a man to me. Why don't I seem, well, I still feel almost like this grown up boy. And I started finding out that from my audience, different guys were saying the same thing. They, they felt the same thing. We hadn't gone through that full transformation. So I started really digging deep into masculinity, started reading every book I could get my hands on. You know, Jack Donovan has an excellent book, The Way, Way of Men. Uh, David Deida, one of my favorite books is The Way of the Superior Man. You know, Iron John, uh, it, just everything, everything I could, I could get my hands on, right? And, and it really started changing changing my life. And, and, and that's where sort of the, at the same time, kind of that Tony Robbins, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and that before I thought that was kind of woo woo stuff. And, uh, and, and I came back from that and, and like one of the most powerful things that he said that, that really facilitated that last transformation for me was he said, the, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably live with. And I realized that like there was there's these missing pieces that were were coming into place, like a part of what what I call about the steps of, of becoming a man. But one of them for me was living in this, trying to create security. So I had built this fortress around myself, this physical fortress. That's why I had a lot of fears. I hadn't overcome my fears. I had this financial fortress. I was trying to make everything stable and not and stop taking risks anymore. Don't lose what you have. This emotional fortress. I'd gone through some levels of emotional maturity, but my level of emotional maturity of my emotional fortress was being numb, not being open to the world. And so no one can hurt me, but I, I'm not letting anyone in and I'm not being open. And so I had realized that I needed to tear all that down. And so when I came back from that, that Tony Robbins, that was where really where everything really started to click in, in change. The dramatic changes is that I stopped. I basically developed a life philosophy of saying, I'm going to do whatever the fuck that I want and I will accept whatever consequences come. Mm -hmm. And that was critical. And that's where really things, you know, really dramatically change. And my, my mannerisms change, my voice change, all those things kind of changed over the next few years as I really internalized that, that mindset and started overcoming my fears, started stepping up and, and leading and taking risks again, and, and really thinking about, you know, this facing the questions of mortality and saying, Hey, you know, if I die, I die, but I'm going to live my life. So that's a really incredible story here because you've gone through different stages of growth and shedding of skin, including some that I think some men wouldn't admit. Like you got to a point where you physically externally had everything that you wanted. You were fit, you were successful, you had girls and everything. And for many men, they would just stop there. They wouldn't ever think to look any deeper. And if they did think to look deeper and they succeeded, not many men would admit that, would say that I got everything I wanted and I still recognized there was a hole inside myself, if that's a fair way of putting it, or they wouldn't be willing to admit that I everything that I had built around me that looked like success from the outside was actually just a wall, was actually just high walls. Like that's a pretty remarkable thing to say, especially because there are many men who would love to look that way and have a business like that. But to see that all that glitters is not necessarily gold. These successes we can build for ourselves can become prisons as well, depending on the spirit that we're building them with. Yeah, yeah. And that's and it's it's such a it's such a hard lesson, I think. It, it's almost one of those ones that you you have to learn on your own. 
Yeah. Right. To some degree, I think you can have some guidance so that you don't go so far down the wrong path. But I, I kept on finding as, you know, I hit the, the goal of initially like retiring young was my biggest goal in life. And I remember being on the beach in Hawaii in my starting my new life of, of not doing anything mm-hmm. <laughs> and just fearing, feeling more miserable than I'd ever felt in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because I was setting my goal based on what I could get, not what I could become. And, and now my goals are focused on, on who I become. That, that's the primary factor because that's the thing that's going to bring you fulfillment because it's not like getting to a location or not, no amount of money, no amount of girls, no amount of whatever is going to make you happy and fulfilled, maybe temporarily happy. But what, what is going to make you fulfilled is, is that you are on a path of growth. If you're growing, and so the goals that I look at now are goals, if I go this direction, it will force me to become the man that is able to do that. So for example, this or last year was the year of becoming an ultra runner. So I became an ultra runner. You know, I'm 240 pounds. It's not a typical thing for someone my size. There's not very many ultra runners my size, but I trained and ran, you know, it was a bad year for running ultra races, but (laughs) I did a 50 mile run solo as, as one of my, my ultra races. And it was all about, it wasn't for my health. It wasn't for a medal or any, it was completely about becoming the guy that could do this. And, and that was what I was seeking. Now, the thing that I'm really interested in in hearing about this is I think of it in terms of a muscle, a muscle that men can develop. And that muscle is one of growth. Like you can develop your bicep or you can develop your quads or you can develop your mental muscle or you can develop your willpower but I, I think that there's a muscle inside men that is sort of transcends and maybe includes all of those as well that says, I'm going to grow. And that muscle, even when, the mu- even when your physical muscles wither and you, you, know, you grow old, you can still have this muscle inside yourself that says, I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to learn. I'm going to continue to expand or to let go of things in the journey of an elder or something like that. And I'm really interested in, in teaching men how to begin cultivating this muscle of growth inside themselves. And you've had a lot of experience with coaching men. And I wonder what you've seen in that regard, because you've had to see men from, go from, including yourself in some ways, go from zero to even one mile an hour is a bigger jump than you know one mile an hour than to 10 miles an hour in some ways. So what have you seen in that regard, helping men grow in that way? Yeah. You know, the way I would describe that muscle that, that, that you're talking about is I would call it courage. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that I had discovered in my life and I've seen in so many men's lives is that, that fear, a strategy of trying to make fear go away is a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. Right? I had a lot of fears. And fear, if, if you ignore it, if you try to push it aside, it just takes over more and more of your life. And it, it, it won't stop until it has all of it. And I got pretty close to that point at, at some points in my life. And what I didn't realize at the time was that you can't control fear. Fear is biological. It's, you have no control over fear. You will experience fear based on conditions that are, are not, not in any way controllable by you, right? You're, maybe you're preconditioned, maybe something happens, whatever it is, fear is, is not something that you can suppress. It's not something that you can control. But you can always choose to have courage. And that's the thing, that's that missing piece. That's that muscle. Because what I found was that and I had the strategy of trying to get rid of fear and I would try and suppress it, ignore it, talk myself out of it, convince myself I'm not afraid. 
none of that worked. But then I found that I didn't need to do that. All I needed to do was to choose to have courage in any given moment. And you can make that choice at any given time. There's no other requirement. And by choosing that, that's that muscle that I feel grows, right? And that's where, because it's not just courage in the face of danger, it's, it's courage in the face of failure. It's, it's really moving outside of your comfort zone, right? And that's, that's the key is like, once you start getting used to that, to you, you start building up that muscle of courage of, of getting outside of your comfort zone, it becomes stronger. And then it becomes easier and easier for you to do things that make you uncomfortable or that make you afraid. And now fear is not a factor anymore, right? Fear doesn't matter because if you, if you have courage and you can summon courage and your courage is so strong, it doesn't really matter if you have fear or not. Fear could be there. Fear doesn't have to be there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. In fact, you can't really have courage unless you have fear. So it's almost a, a requirement. It's almost a good thing. A lot of times now, when I start to feel fear, it's almost like an adrenaline rush because I know that something good is coming. I know that this is an opportunity for me to grow because there's less of those now. You know, it's like everything, the whole world was made me uncomfortable and, and fearful at, at one point. And, and now I see those as opportunities because there's less of those places. Because every time I see fear, I see an opportunity for growth and to exercise my courage muscle and make it stronger. So that's, that's what I see. And with the guys I coach, you know, that's, that's usually the biggest thing, right? When it comes down to it, it's so funny because I do a significant amount of like dating or relationship coaching for guys because that's a high priority for a lot of men. And people ask me all the time, they're like, well, what's the, you know, what's the, what's the best advice, you know, hitch that you would, you would give to a guy or like, how, how's he, you know? And he's like, what, what's the most of the stuff that you tell guys? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I could, I could, you know, of course, give you all kinds of philosophies about this and, and relationship dynamics and attracting women, all these things. But the most common thing that I coach guys on is just overcoming the fear of approach of oh, just sure. talking to it. Cause that's 90% of it. Right. That's the, the, you know I mean? There's all, you could sure talk about all these. And, and again, you know, there's, there's more depth to everything, of course, but that's the main problem that guys are struggling with. And, and it's, it's not just in relationships with women and, and dating. It's, it's in life, right? It's, you know, when I do business coaching, yeah, I can, I can help you to build a business and to get an email list and, and figure out how to build an audience and all that thing. But the biggest thing I have to get you to do is to overcome the fear of stepping out there and putting yourself on the internet, that, that, that uncomfortable feeling or taking that risk of, of stepping out into the unknown and not knowing what's going to happen. Right. Because so many guys, they want for me, they want an absolute guaranteed plan. Right. They want to say, Hey, John, all right. When, when we do coaching, so you're going to tell me exactly how to build a business and I'm, I'm going to make, you know, six figures a year on this business. And I have to say, no, no, no. <laughs> there's no guarantee. <laughs> you may spend three years where you probably won't, but you may spend three years working on this and have nothing to show for it, except that you will have grown as a person. And if that's not enough for you, then you better not go down this path because that's, but, but that's what life is, right? There's a really good, one of my favorite things from the Bhagavad Gita says that, you know, you're entitled to your labor, but not the fruits of your labor. Mm -hmm. And it's a really important concept to understand is that you have to do things for the sake of doing it and you cannot be tied to the results. Otherwise you're going to be overtaken by fear, but yeah. You know, to come back to answering your question, 
I see that muscle as courage. And that's the thing that I have to teach guys to exercise. And, and really, when we look at masculinity and what makes a man, probably one of the, you know, if we, if we really kind of look at from the external, we see courage as, as one of the core shining attributes of, of, of a man, someone who is courageous. That's what we consider to be a great warrior, to be a great leader, right? That, that's the thing that we admire and respect pretty, pretty much more than any other attribute, I, w- I would say. You take me back to uh, The Way of Men by Jack Donovan, the, the four tactical virtues, strength, courage, mastery, and honor. And when I read that book, I was thinking about which one of these is, is the most important if I had to pick one. And I, I suspected at the time that maybe every man would pick a different one. So I was, well, which one's most important for me? And as I thought about it, I determined that courage was the most important of the four. Because if you have courage, you can get strength, you can get mastery, and you can get honor. You can take that, you have the courage to take that first step. But if you don't have courage, it's much, much less likely that you'll get any of the other three. And I think that's why Jack Donovan calls it a kinetic virtue. It's the one that moves rather than the thing that you have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you also make me think of, I spoke to uh, Sean T. Smith a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And uh, we were talking about, he coaches a lot of men, not coaches, but also does therapy as well uh, with anxiety. And he said that the treatment for anxiety is like you say, not to try and suppress the anxiety to make it to go away. You provide context and information around, around the anxiety that lessens rather than becoming this thing that becomes overwhelming to look at. You build a bunch of context around it and you see it's actually much, much smaller than you thought it was. So as you're talking about approaching women, I was reading a book this week that was saying on a root biological level, the reason why men are terrified to approach women is that the rejection of an approach triggers this base lizard brain kind of mm-hmm. thing in our heads is you are not fit to reproduce. It's, it's literally like saying your genetic line will end. I mean, it's not really doing that because obviously we have more sexual opportunities now than we did for thousands of years in human history, but still on this root biological level, our brain, if, if the woman turns away or whatever laughs, our brain receives you, you congratulations, you just died. You know, and so providing that context around is like, oh, wait, I'm not actually going to die in this situation. If she says no, I'll just go finish the drink with my, with my buddies. So I think that's a really, as we're talking about, you know, courage to, and and fear and confronting these, the courage can be enabled with more information to confront these situations that may seem overwhelming, but they're really not once you, once you think about it a bit more broadly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I, I had one of, one of my coaching clients that, lives in New York city and he just, he had no experience. He had never done any kind of cold approaching at all. And, and he, his task was to go to this bar and just talk, just say, go up to one, one woman doesn't even have to really find her attractive and just say hi. And then he can walk home and he's done. And he's there, he's texting me (laughs) and he's like, I can't do it. And I'm like, just, yeah. Like I, I, you have like, there's nothing I can tell you except that you have to make the leap. You have to choose to have courage. And it's like, it, it's the, the problem is, is that I feel really uncomfortable. It's not, it, it feels like there's something wrong. Like I shouldn't, like other people aren't uncomfortable. I, I feel uncomfortable standing here in the bar. Right. And, and even just the, like the idea of doing this and I'm like, good, this is like, you want to, the goal of life is to put yourself in as many uncomfortable situations as possible. I was like, so you're actually succeeding right now. Like what you're doing right now is actually winning because the more uncomfortable you feel, the, the, the better you are. That, that's the, 
in fact, the whole goal of, of this entire thing is just to get you to feel uncomfortable. I just want to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. And then I want you to sit in that, that discomfort and say, is this really that bad? Can I handle being uncomfortable? Because I feel like once you realize in your brain, like you're saying that you can't be harmed, that because feeling uncomfortable is like the worst feeling. Like we're, we do anything to avoid feeling uncomfortable. But once you, once you realize and, and you say, I can be comfortable being uncomfortable. I can sit here and just be uncomfortable, right? Some of the exercises, sometimes I give guys, I'm like, I want you to just go up to this girl and I want you to just act like you're about to say something, just, and just stand there just as long as you can possibly like, don't break it. Like let her say something or walk off or whatever it is. And it, and, and again, it's one of those things. It's like when you start doing those things that make you feel uncomfortable, wow, your whole life change. Because if you can do that, if, if you can put yourself in uncomfortable situations, everything unlocks for you, right? And that's, you know, that's, it's, it's so tied into that courage to that, to the idea of, of that you can't be harmed. We're so restricted. We have such a limited viewpoint of these things because we're so afraid to put ourselves in those uncomfortable situations. But if you can do that, then wow, you know, it, it's amazing how much more access you have to what you want in life. And that's, and that's what it is to step up and be a man is to be able to put yourself in those uncomfortable. And when you look at like all the kind of attributes, right? Even things like, you know, one, one of the attributes of masculinity that we talk about a lot of time is, is being either aggressive or assertive, right? Assertive is, is, is the word we usually use. Well, to be assertive means to say something that is going to make other people uncomfortable and make yourself uncomfortable. Right. That's what a certain, like the reason why we're a lot of guys are nice guys and are pleasers is because they don't want to be, un, the, to be uncomfortable by telling someone something that they want or saying something that someone might take offense to or they might not like. And so when we're assertive, we're basically just stepping into a, a discomfort. We're just saying, okay, I'm okay with you being uncomfortable. I'm okay with you not liking me. I'm okay with me being uncomfortable in the situation, but I do what I need to do. And that it's so key to, to unlocking that. You, you really cannot be a man if you can't put yourself in, in discomfort and stay there. And many men have to learn how to do that. They're not, they're not raised in an environment as children, as boys, where they're allowed to make mom or dad or whoever their caregiver is uncomfortable, where the, ch- the children are put in little boxes and yep. uh, you know, they're not permitted. That was, that was my experience growing up. I wasn't allowed to make mom or dad uncomfortable you know, for no reason at all. Cause you know, the whole house would fall apart sometimes if I did. And so I learned very quickly not to do that. And that's really adaptive as a young man, as a boy, that's really adaptive. Like you want mom and dad to not be angry because when mom and dad are angry, you know, bad things happen and that's really great. But then when you become an adult, sometimes you actually have to make people uncomfortable. You have to unlearn all of these behaviors that were, that may have actually saved your life in some regard, like you survived. So the behavior worked, but then you reach a stage in your life where it's like, I want to go say hi to that pretty girl or I want to raise or I just want to speak up for myself in, in this social situation or I, have, or I just want to be able to freely express emotion to someone I care about. And the mind says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. No, keep you, it's dangerous, but you have to learn that it's actually safe and that the safety doesn't come from many shift in the outside circumstances it does, you can't, because you can't ever create guaranteed safety in the outside circumstances. Otherwise, that's maybe a prison. Uh, the security comes from within. And so I was watching your 
your video about your voice changing. And I think that's part of it. It's like when you create the sense of inner security, the body relaxes and all these little muscles up there in the throat are so delicate. This is a really delicate instrument. And a singer explained it to me once. I don't right. think we even know how much ten- how we carry tension in our body and how it affects our throat and our posture and everything. And so we get, you know, we create a voice that isn't threatening at all. But when we're right. ready to be threatened, you know, suddenly it opens up a bit more. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting because with the ch- because guys carry this over to their relationships with women as, as well. And so many of the guys that I, that I talk to that, that coach that I coach, they are walking on eggshells, mm-hmm. right? They do not want to upset the apple cart or rock the boat. And it's the completely wrong move for a man in a relationship. If you want to get walked on and have a woman lose attraction for you, there's no way faster to do that than to not, create boundaries for her and to stand up for yourself. If you're trying to be a peacemaker and it's almost an innate quality of men to, we want peace. Men want peace. If you ask a man, what do you want? The answer is peace. I just want to just be left alone and let me do my thing. Let's not have drama. And so we have to go against that nature as men and say, no, I'm going to say what I need to say, do what I need to say, especially like I said, in, in relationships with women and be willing to, to chance that she's going to upset and then she she's going to be upset and then she's not going to want to have sex with you or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You have to be willing to do that. And, but we're trained, like you said, from, from childhood, the, the idea of like toxic shame and, and there's a, you know, uh, actually Robert Glover's book, no more Mr. Nice guy talks a lot about that as well. But, but yeah, we're, we're sort of trained to do that, to almost be a people pleaser, never rock the boat. And, and that it does not serve you as a, as a man, but especially in a relationship with a woman later in life. And, and almost all the guys that, that, that I coach that have marital issues, they're not having sex anymore, girlfriend issues, divorces, all these kind of things. Almost every time I trace it back to non-assertive behavior, this sort of what I call walking on eggshells behavior by, by the guy in the relationship. Not to say that's always, you know, a guy's fault whenever a relationship goes bad, but 90% of the time I trace it back to that. And, and that's, you know, if you, if you know that as a man and you understand that and you're not that way, you're going to have a lot. It's a completely different. I think so many guys today, especially in, in this, in the general men's space, they have this really jaded view of women in relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's because they believe that the way that it's going to work is, is, is because they've heard all these stories and it's happened to them is that, you know, whatever woman's going to lose interest in you. She's going to, you know, she's not, she's going to stop having sex at some point or want to end it. And like, you know, whatever she's going to cheat on you, she's going to eventually divorce you or, and, and it's, and they don't understand it's because of what they're doing most of the time, because they're not actually being that masculine man in the relationship. That's another reason why I really like the David Data's uh, the way the superior man. Cause I feel like it's one of the only books that really addresses how to be a man inside of a relationship. Whereas there's so much content about how to attract a woman, how to get a woman, how to get laid. And, and, but it's a completely different thing to understand what it is to actually be a masculine presence in a relationship. Absolutely. I remember the first time I read that book, I was in nowhere near ready to read it. And I just remember being so challenged by the book. By, I mean, I, it's the one book that I can think of where he really gets in your face. Like yeah. you're reading it super in your face. I was like, what the fuck is this? I literally threw it across the room. Who's this guy to talk to me this way? And then I went back and I read it years later. And I was like, oh, I get it. 
Like he's not, he's not pretending that he is that guy. Cause I don't know that anyone can really live in that state all the time. That's not the right. point. The point is this is something to aspire to. This is, and you have to take this in. You have to really take coaching is probably not the word, but you really have to take in this, this guidance and really learn how to show up and how to push boundaries and hold space, you know, and, and establish your space and then create polarity that way. And it's a really, it's a really confronting thing. If like me, that was something you were raised very much not to do, not to push back, especially on women, you know, oh, we don't do that, you know, because that's toxic masculine, which I can get into because in just as much that, that it can be bad to not assert any boundaries, you say that some men, just, most all men just want peace. Well, there are some men that actually like go out there to rock the boat intentionally, you know, and that's not necessarily healthy either. There are some boats that need to be rocked, but going out looking for conflict is, is not a healthy place to be in either. And learning to navigate that difference between I'm not going to allow any conflict, I'm just going to lay down versus I'm going to go and create conflict actively because I'm a dick. You know, there's a middle ground between that and learning to navigate that middle ground is actually fundamentally very masculine. That, but it's a it's a process of experimentation. That, and this is again, it comes back to courage. You have to have courage to learn how to develop that skill of where conflict is needed and where it isn't. So there's uh, there's a concept that that, I have, that kind of describes what you're talking about there. I call it the the three levels of freedom, mm-hmm. right? And this applies to a lot of different areas of of your life. But essentially, my definition of freedom is your ability to exercise your will upon the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So the more that you're able to do that, the more free you are. Right. That, and I use that definition because it most people's definition of freedom is what other people allow them to do. But most of what's stopping you from being free is what you're not allowing yourself to do or you're not capable of doing because you haven't put in the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a lack of discipline or a lack of, of, of knowledge and, and skill. So the first level of freedom is when you aren't able to do things. So a, a good way to look at this is, is let's say a lot of guys that have approach anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So they have the first level of freedom because they can't, they see a beautiful woman they want to talk to. They're too afraid they can't do it. So they have a very limited level of freedom. The second level of freedom is what I call compulsion. So this happens to a lot of guys is they'll start to learn to overcome approach anxiety. And now they're a machine and they feel like they have to, they have to talk to every single woman that, that, that they possibly could. It's the same thing kind of like what you're saying with aggression, right? It's, it's like a guy, a lot of times a guy that's being overly aggressive, being, being a dick all the time. And and like, he's doing that because he feels compulsed that he needs to prove that he's a man. Mm -hmm. He was afraid and timid before, and now he's become this thing. And so now it's a compulsive action. He's doing it because he's not in control. He must do it in order to prove, to reify his identity that, that he's, he's in the process of changing. Same thing with, with guys, like I said, with cold approach, they're now approaching girls that they're not even really that interested in because they feel like they need to do it in order to prove that identity of who they are because they're transforming their identity. But you can't get stuck there. That the third level is, is what you're calling that balance, which is where you're now doing things out of your, now you actually have freedom. Now you're doing things because you want to do them. But the problem is you can't get to that level. You can't do things because you want to do them until you've progressed, until you've done things out of compulsion because, and until you've overcome the ability to not do them, right? So at first you can't do it. At, at, at second, you're compulsed to do it. You must do it. And then 
finally you reach that final level where you actually have the free will to choose. And the first level, you don't have the free will because you're not capable of doing it. You want to go talk to that girl? You can't because you're, you're paralyzed by fear. You don't have the ability to do what you want. The second level, you're, 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 you're able to do it, but you must do it. You're not doing it. You're not actually making a conscious choice. You don't know, do you really want to do this or not? Because you're afraid too much of your justification of saying, of making excuses like you did at the first level. So instead you don't accept any excuses and you just do things that maybe you don't even want to do. And you, you start acting out of compulsion. But then that third level, finally, now you've, you've gone through both. You, you could do things, you, you, you recognize your ability to do things if you want to, you recognize your ability, you, you truly have uh, taken on that new identity. So now you don't feel the need to prove anything. You just do the things as you want to do them. And, and again, this applies to like so many different areas of your life. You go through that progression before you finally reach that, that, that true freedom. And, and, and it's interesting. The reason why I use that model too is because I feel like it's important to recognize that you have to go through the compulsion phase in order to get to the true freedom phase. Like that's part of the training. And that's, and so, so a lot of people get, get stuck there and they don't realize that, you know, that's, that, that's where you're, you're going to go. So you're, you're not going to just be able to go from not being able to do a thing and, and, and to being able to do it with, with true freedom. You're going to have to go through and do it in a compulse way first until you truly believe internally in yourself, in your ability and that you can do this and then you can actually make a conscious choice. Otherwise your mind is too clouded. You're, you're clouded by doubt and judgment. And, you know, is this really you? Do you really have this ability? Do you really want this or not? You don't know the answers to those questions. And this is where I think a lot of the men's development community gets stuck. Actually, not just men's development, but personal development. Like, get up in the morning and, you know, take your cold shower and you just do it. You just keep fucking doing it all the time. And it's like, you get stuck in this where it's like, this is shaming into doing a thing. And yes, that is a stage of the journey. Like, you do have to achieve, you know, as Jocko says, discipline equals freedom. And the discipline comes first. But there's so many of these guys that are just essentially bludgeoning men into performing in a certain way with the idea that if you just show up and you do the thing over and over again, that's enough. Like, well, there's a level beyond that. There's a level way beyond that where you recognize and you assert your ability to make choices, but you recognize the choice between the better, the better option and the worse option. And you choose the better option because that's who you are. Not because someone behind you is cracking the whip over you, but because you within yourself and not because you're even cracking the whip inside yourself, but because you yourself choose the virtuous path. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing that I find that isn't really talked about so much. Maybe it isn't understood, or maybe it's one of those things that would be called, and I don't like this term, and I don't even agree with this term, but like woo-woo, oh, virtue, morals. Like we don't talk about that stuff. You know, it's like, this stuff is important. Like you got to take it. But a lot of men in the world today are just rediscovering all this. And that's the whole spirit of the Renaissance of men is it sort of, in, it, I try to build in a lot of these ideas about virtues and values and morals and higher and higher principles, because that's the way that I tend to think about things. So that's why I do that. And I'm, I'm finding as I go into this world of male development, that there's a lot of, um, I'll, I'll phrase it as bottom up, meaning like you have to get yourself off the ground and you have to start pursuit, performing in certain ways and you're really being pushed. And th- but then there's also this top down, like aspiring for the higher values of aspiring for virtues. And I, I feel like there's this really special moment happening in this world that we share where these two paths are meeting, which is mm-hmm. really, really exciting where something really, um, I don't know, really special can happen. Well, I think one key to it too is, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I, that I call base motives, right? Is that you've got sort of like looking at that, that approach, 
a lot of guys will aspire to do things. They, they want to have altruistic motives for things. They want to have like this high, but when you're starting out on your growth, you have to allow yourself to have the base motives that motivate you. Right. Right. So it's like, you're not going to create a business to save the world and to like, to, to, to end homelessness or, hunger like you you just don't have it in yourself when you're starting out to do that like you it, a lot of people do say that but they're faking it they're, it's not real because the real base motives that you start out with is revenge mm-hmm. lust envy right i'm proving my parents wrong i'm angry right those are sort of the base motives that that motivate you to make a change in your life at at first and to go down that path and until you fulfill those base motives to some degree, which, which fulfilling them makes you realize that they're worthless. <laughs> you can't unlock the higher level of motives, right? That, that's where like, once you start to take care of, that's why I always talk about like being selfish. Like I think it's important for men to be like, you need to be selfish because you can't give what you don't have and you have to take care of like those base motives will leak out if you're not taking care of yourself, right? If, if you're not doing things truly out of your, your choice, but if you're doing them out of obligation, then you're, you're sort of manipulating, you're, you're trying to get something and and you're, you're painting a different image, right? You're not authentic. You're not genuine, but you start, you know, allowing yourself, especially starting out a lot lot of guys, it's okay. All right. So you're, you're motivated. You're doing this whole thing just to get revenge, just because you're angry that your girlfriend didn't appreciate you and you're going to show her good, fine. Use that to start and let, let that take you. It's not going to take you all the way. It can't but it will take you high enough and you'll get enough results. And then you'll realize this was a stupid thing to, to want, you know, but you did it. Okay. So now what, now you start to unlock this higher level of motives, right? You start to come up that chain where you, where you start looking at, well, I want to do this because I I really want to like, I want to grow. I want to accomplish something in life. I want to feel like I've done something. And and you start doing that and, and you start reaching those levels. And then, finally, you know, things start to unlock at the higher level, the, the more altruistic things. So like, I want to give back. I want to benefit. I get joy out of, of, out of helping other people. And then, then you're genuine and authentic. And, and it's, the, it's the guys that try and, and skip that and go straight to the top that are the charlatans and the fake gurus and, and, and all those things because people see through it and they say, oh, you're just, yeah, it's actually, this is just a money grab. This is just you trying to prove that you're, you're a great person that like you're, you're, you're making up for some deficiency as opposed to being really altruistic in, in that. And, and so it's like that, that kind of merging of, of the two is, is this, this idea that, you, you know, you've got guys that are, are sort of at, at the higher levels that are, are helping the guys that I see that, that are, are working their way up and, and they're, you know, they're doing things altruistic, but they're encouraging these guys to, to bring them up. Like you, you have to kind of go through maybe some of those stages in order to get to where, where you want to be eventually. It's like, you know, one of the things I was just talking to a friend of mine, I was saying that like a lot of the content that I create on Bulldog Mindset is I'm teaching guys, I'm giving guys what they want and then giving them what they need, Right. I know what guys want. They want to get laid with hot girls. They want to make money. They want to get six pack abs. They want to get in shape. They want all these, they want to be famous. They want, you know, all of these things. And that's fine, right? I'm going to show guys how to do some of those things. That's fine. But my bigger purpose is to teach them a life philosophy, like Stoic philosophy and and how to live their life with non-attachment and how to really find a true spiritual 
fulfillment and become the man that they're capable of. And, and so, but you, you kind of have to start at where people are at. If, if I just come out there, you know, and again, I was, I was having this discussion with, with one of my friends that has a huge YouTube channel, like 3.5 million subscribers. And, wow. and he's, he's, he's suddenly turned to spirituality and his approach is just blasted in their face. And it's, it's just not working so well. You know, love the guy. He's an awesome guy. You know, not knocking him in any way. He's, he's awesome. I totally support him in, in, in what he's trying to do. But I feel like that's the approach that doesn't, like you have to see where people are, have to work them up. And, and they're going to have base motives. They're going to have <laughs> motives that are not aligned. with Because you can't tell a guy. It's, it's like the same thing. You know, we have this whole kind of like incel, back pill community, like these guys. And I work with, with some of those guys from time to time. And for me to tell a guy like that, like, you know what? Trust me, getting laid with like a lot of women, that's not even, it's, it's not even that big of a deal. Like you're, you're way over like blowing. That's not your whole life. That guy, it doesn't matter how much I tell him that he's not going to believe that. Cause he is like a, a person who has his head underwater that is starving for oxygen that needs a breath of air. He's going to have to have that motive in his mind and then go through that experience and then realize, you know what, actually that wasn't that big of a deal before he's ever going to get anywhere else. Because if he doesn't achieve that, there's no way he cannot possibly see the future and understand a higher level concept and philosophy in life because he has to have what. And so that's why it's, it's sort of those, those base models, same thing guy wants to make some, you know, I, I've told broke guys, ah, oh, yeah, it's not that, you know, <laughs> big, if I lost everything, I'd be okay. You know, you know, whatever, you know, it's, I live like a Spartan anyway. I don't really buy a lot of stuff, you know, I, you know, whatever. And, you know, a guy making like 30 K a year, 25 K a year, he working at McDonald's or a grocery store or something. He he's like, you're full of crap. It, you know, if I won the lottery, of course I would, you know, it would change my life. I'm like, nah, that'd be a horrible thing for me. Right. But, but he's never going to understand that until he gets to a point where he makes a certain amount of money and then he can sort of see that. So, so that's, I think that's, that's kind of really something that I, I focus on too, is just like realizing that I have to, I can't just preach from, from the, from the place where, where I'm at, I have to look and say, where did I come from? Where are guys at now? Let's bring them up to where they need to be and, and progress through that. Cause everyone has to go through those progressions. There's no shortcuts. Makes me think of uh, what David data is talking about in the way of a superior man. I think he talks about it towards the end of the book where there are missions that we take on and we expand to fill the mission. And then we just discard it when it's done. Yeah. And we'll go through a period of, time where we don't have a mission like what's the next thing what's the next thing and then we find the next thing and we expand to take it on but like you say you can't tell the guy who's broke that you know he should be having the mission to give always his money away to charity (laughs) (laughs) think some some middle stages uh some middle stages in there and uh people need to be comfortable with this idea that it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of solution like there's your particular growth there's your particular path there's the things that you need right now and there's nothing right or wrong about it, but this is just what you need to get through. And someone else may look at that thing that you want for yourself right now and evaluate it as shallow or superficial, but you can't say that about someone's internal experience of the reality. That may be a very significant bit of soul growth to say, just go say hello to one girl in a bar 
if you put that on TV, that would be something that everyone like laughed at. You know what I mean? Like, haha, it seems so simple. It's like, don't dismiss the significance of, of this for this guy. You have no idea what's going on in this man's inner reality with maybe the things that he was taught about speaking up as a child or who knows what sort of trauma or beliefs or mistaken beliefs he's carrying. This could be the achievement of a lifetime and it may look very simple uh, and almost comical. Not that it is comical, but it may look that way from a judgmental perspective, which our culture is very good at doing, is judging people for their desires. But don't write it off so quickly. Yeah, no, it's very true. In fact, I mean, that very thing was a very pivotal thing for, for me. Like, I remember the first day that I had accomplished that, and I was so proud of myself. It was, I had made money, I'd done other things in life that anyone would say it was so much better, but that was the, my, my shining accomplishment because that was the biggest weakness that, that I had, that the one, like the, the biggest insecurity that I had. And once I had overcome that, it, it changed my life. So how did it change your life? How did it change my life? Mm-hmm. It's it sort of, the biggest thing was that I considered that to be the biggest fear that I had in life. And once I knew that I could do that, then I said, well, all this other stuff seems petty in comparison. And so that really, I know it, it's, and again, it seems so silly because some guys are like, oh, that's like, how can that little thing? But it really, it made all the difference for me. And, and, and I sort of have this philosophy that is, if there's one, there's more than one. And so all I have to do is do, do something once or accomplish something once, right? And I, I talk about this in business, right? So for example, if I'm coaching a guy, I'm like, let's just sell one of whatever you're trying to sell. Because if there's one, there's more than one, right? Or I'll tell a guy, I'll be like, have you, have a, has a girl ever kissed you? If there's one, there's more than one, right? And it's like, so, so that was that, that, you know, shining moment for me. I'm like, I did this once. That means I could do this a thousand times, right? It's like, so, so all automatically I can see where, you know, where the, where the road is going to go because it, it's just that, that overcoming like that, you know, I think you're talking about that, you know, the zero to one mile, right. Versus the one to 10, it's the same thing. It's that gap. It's the, the zero to one, right. In fact, there's a really good book by Peter Thiel called zero to one. I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it's that zero to one. That's the greatest, like from, from nothing to, to one experience. And once you have one referential experience, then that changes everything in life. Cause now it's, it's like, now a limiting belief has been removed. Now it is possible. And if it's possible once, it's possible more than once. So what were some of the other, what were some of the other fears that you've encountered that you've overcome? Because I saw, I read through your website, wrote, yeah. ride on roller coasters and get on airplanes and wrestle alligators. I made that last one up. But. Yeah, so, uh, so definitely airplanes became, what was a big one. There was a period of time in my life where I would not, where I would drive like eight hours or, or more where I would just cancel flights where I, like I would book a flight and I would be sweating it out for three months, dreading that flight. That's how, how bad it was knowing that I have, and sometimes I would cancel last minute after three months, right. To go for, for family, for holidays or, or things like that. So that, that was a big one. Roller coasters. I, you know, I remember when I lived in, in Florida going to Bush gardens and looking up at the crazy. And I was like, I would never in my life ever go on that any one of those. Right. And then I remember, you know, was it, I guess it's been like maybe six years ago, six years ago, I went to Bush gardens and I rode every single uh, roller coaster in the park. And I made sure that I had the front seat because <laughs> I didn't want to miss any of it. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, those were, were things at one point I had, 
it, when it got the worst was, and that's where like overcome the anxiety, I had panic attacks mm-hmm. and I, it almost cost me my, my entire life, like my job, like I couldn't function. I would remember going to work and go, immediately going to the, the restroom and just sitting on the toilet and just trying to pass the time. Like, cause I couldn't be in an environment. I couldn't be like, I was just trying to close my eyes, like, you know, just to get through the day. And then I would get home from work and I would just sit in the tub until I could go to sleep and then just go to sleep if I could sleep. Mm-hmm. And that happened for like two weeks. And then, and it was because I was allowing all these fears to like, again, fear takes more, right? It, it was, it started with the fear of, of, of flying and then in the roller coasters. And then I was afraid sometimes of going out and it's like, it just started to, it, it became this ridiculous. I mean, I never thought that I'd become that fearful of person, but then I was like, you know, the panic attacks came from fearing that I might be dying, that I'm not getting enough air in my lungs when I'm breathing It is ridiculous of a concept, but once it locks into your mind and you get that fear response, it's out of your control. It, it really is because, you know, and you, and you see this all the time. You, why, why does this person have this crazy phobia of like a spider or, 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 or a sponge or something, you know, ridiculous, but it's because it's, it's out of your control. It, it is, it's built into your brain. And what ended up happening was, was kind of similar to what you said with the anxiety is finally, I tried everything. I listened to this, this, I think it was some audio program on the internet. And the guy was saying, instead of trying to block out fear, like when you have a panic attack, because what I would do is I would try to read a book, play a video game, put on headphones. Like if I did have to fly, fly in an airplane or anything like that, he said, turn it up, crank it up to 11, crank the fear up to 11. And so I said, well, I got nothing to lose. So I remember sitting down that night and I was like, all right, instead of trying to block out this panic attack, trying to ignore what I'm feeling and trying to pretend like it's not happening to me and just, you know, trying to distract myself, I'm going to like, just go dive into it and see what happens. Like, let's try to, let's turn up the storm. Let's, let's try to see how bad we can make this. Like, let me just give into the fear fully, just experience absolute terror. If I, if I can, like, let's, let's try and like, give me the fear. Right. And what I found was that very quickly I hit max. Like it was, I, it was, it wasn't. And then I was like, well, there's no, I can't, it can't get any worse than this. There's no more fear. Like I'm trying to get as much fear as I can and I can't get any more fear. Therefore it, it, it's sort of that whole, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. So true. I realized in that moment, that is absolutely true. The thing I was fearing was how bad the fear could get. And I had turned the fear up to the max and pretty soon it subsided. There was nothing to be afraid of anymore. And almost instantly my panic attacks were cured. I went back to work the next day. I was totally fine. And then I applied that exact same thing. I booked an airplane uh, trip like the very next week. It took me two flights and I was perfectly cured. Now I fly all over the world have no problem. I've, I've probably flown like two, 300 flights since then. Did the same thing with roller coasters. Every single fear. I just, I, and now I see it as an opportunity. Like I get excited when I get afraid, like I said, because I know like, and, and one of the, the cool things about it too, which I discovered kind of with roller coasters. And I think that's why we go on roller coasters is that sort of the most, the highest I think that you'll ever feel in life is that moment when you overcome that fear, that's the biggest rush that I think it's, it's, it's almost like 
you become a junkie on that feeling. That's why like that, that fear is like a dopamine precursor for me to know that I have something really good coming because if I just overcome this fear, I'm going to feel so good. It's like that, like going up a roller coaster. And like when you, when you hit that free fall and you're just like, it's, it's one of the best feelings in the world. And, and that's, that's that thing is, is like overcoming fear is, is one of the best feelings that you can have. And that's, that's that reinforcement mechanism. Because once you discover that overcoming fear makes you feel higher than any drug, you're, you're going out and seeking fear. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with John Sonmez so far. It's about to go down. But beforehand, just a bit of housekeeping. If you haven't already, now's a great time to give this podcast a rating on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty easy. Just open the Apple Podcasts app if you're not listening on there already. Search for the Renaissance of Men and click the five-star button. That lets me know that you like what I'm doing here, which I hope you do. Also, if you really want to let me know how much you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a written review. That's not just for me, but for other men who might stumble on this podcast and wonder what it's about. Those sorts of things make a big difference with the smart and capable man I'm trying to reach. Like you, you handsome devil. Also, now's a great time to follow me on social media because a big announcement is coming very soon, as in the next couple days, maybe even by the time you listen to this. I'm most active on Instagram at Ren of Men. That's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter, Ren of Men. Been having a lot of fun with my Instagram stories, especially. Also, you can find me on Twitter, even though I can't put my finger on it, but it just hasn't been the same lately. Anyway, I'll be there until the band hammer comes down. And there you can find me at will underscore Ren of Men. Coming up next week, I'll have a podcast with Clausen Smith, contemporary caveman author of the excellent book Goonhood. We wrapped our call last night, and I think you're really going to like it. After that, I'll be hosting the men behind the Instagram accounts Masculine Revival and Oaks and Oaths. I have some excellent DMs going on with both of them, so those promise to be some very meaningful conversations as well. And then expect another poetry episode coming out this week with English Restoration Era poet Andrew Marvell. Don't know what the Restoration Era is? Well, get ready to find out. Okay, that's all for now. Please enjoy the rest of my conversation with John Sonmez of Bulldog Mindset. And this is a very masculine thing too, because there's a there's a hit of testosterone that comes with that when you when you overcome a fear. Like biologically, our body responds to that, and we get sort of addicted to our own bodies in a positive in a positive sense. And, and confronting one small fear and overcoming that leads to the confidence to confront a larger fear, and then a larger fear, and then suddenly our lives are moving. We're generating momentum because the things that held us down out of fear, out of hesitance, or out of laziness, which is an idea I want to unpack, suddenly we begin pushing through all that. And then think, when things really start moving, that's the experience of being alive. That's the yeah. experience of being a man. Like when we watch superhero movies, like, yeah, okay, some of those movies are really good and really entertaining. But what we're looking for is the visceral experience of a man, not even superhero movies, but any hero movie, uh, being able to overcome obstacles with momentum and intention and force. We're looking for that visceral experience that we lack in our lives. And that's what movies are really good for, uh, to get to get a little shot of that. Of course, they're useless if we don't go to apply it and apply it to our lives, you know, but um, it's a, they're not good as a substitute for really living. But what I hear you describing is, this is really what it means to be a man to live that superhero kind of feeling without actually needing to be a superhero in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You also touched on something, uh, something earlier about, uh, about fear. And I also wanted to bring it up in, in regard to anger. 
Um, fear is one of those things that just needs to be felt and worked through. Uh, you can't just let it stop you. You have to turn it up to 11. I don't know that the same is necessarily true with anger, but I know that there are, that Robert Glover talks about this in No More Mr. Nice Guy, that the nice guy is actually just a very angry man with his anger very well suppressed. And what I find that I have to talk to men about uh, who are afraid of feeling anger is anger is a legitimate response to a crossed boundary. When someone crosses a boundary with you, anger is how your body lets you know that a boundary has been crossed. And when some of us grow up not being allowed to enforce boundaries because that can be dangerous for various reasons. And so we learned, so the anger begins building up and we have to suppress it and push it down. And then we grow up and some men explode from it naturally, but other men become very good and very like nice guys and no, I'm fine. And they, they, yeah. it, comes out, it comes out sideways. And that's a really important thing like the fear. It's another emotion that we might judge as being negative, but it actually has really powerful teaching potential if we know how to use it the right way. Yeah, so I have, let's see, I have a, a, a somewhat different, but probably somewhere overlapping view on, on anger. Mm -hmm. And it's not a popular opinion. This is one of the things that guys really don't like when I say this, but, uh, but, it, but I think it's important to understand. Mm -hmm. So I see anger as weakness. Now, when I say that, I mean expressed anger, right? So, and the reason why is I come from a very stoic uh, philosophy background, mm -hmm. right? And so to me, right, as, as a man, one of the, the key things is that you should not be controlled. Your actions should be independent of your emotions. Mm -hmm. If there's a connection, if your emotion causes you to take a certain action, you are acting feminine, not masculine. You are, and not, not only that, but you're not being analytical, right? You're, you're not actually making the wisest choice, right? The wisest choice should be the logical choice. It should not be based on emotion. Emotions don't change logic. Right? Now, they may hint us in different directions and emotions have a place. Again, as a, as a Stoic, people confuse Stoicism and say, oh, that means being emotionless. No, it doesn't mean emotionless. It means mastering your emotions to the sense that your emotions do not dictate your actions. Mm -hmm. And so anger is one of those ones where a lot of times guys will say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm rightfully angry and you should be angry in this case, especially I see this in the, the MGTOW red pill type of, uh, a lot of guys are really angry at women and they're expressing all this anger. And when I tell them that anger is weakness, they say, no, it's very masculine to be angry. And, and what I think about, you know, in terms of this, and, you know, I, I would definitely like your, your opinion if you, if you disagree, because I haven't found a really good logical counter argument to what I'm going to say, which is that in, in every case that I can see, anger is weak, is weakness, because if I can push a button and make you do something, I'm in control of you, you're not in control of you. So if there's any chink in your armor, if there's some way I can make you angry, I can compel action. And the problem with anger, as opposed to a lot of other emotions, is anger is really in the, the lizard brain, in the uh, medulla oblongata or whatever, you know, the, the, really in the, the hind brain. And so it short circuits the, the prefrontal cortex. And so if you allow yourself to become angry, you don't have rational control over your actions. And so that's why I consider anger to be a weakness. And, and the other kind of part of it too is that one of the most beneficial philosophies that I've adopted in life is to let go of all expectations, mm -hmm. right? Because 
anger is always, if you trace back anytime you've ever felt angry in life, my, my whole thing about it is that it always is a result of an unmet expectation. You had some expectation, that expectation was not met, and now you feel anger. If you have no expectations, you have no reason to feel angry. And really, having any kind of expectation on the world, on other people, on anything is a delusional fantasy because I should have no more of an expectation on another person's behavior. I have no more control over, let's say, a woman's behavior than I do over the weather, mm-hmm. right? Now, I can influence behavior. I can influence things, but I don't have any, ex- I should never have an expectation. Now, a standard is a different thing. A sta- what I say is a, an expectation is something that you have for someone else. A standard is something you have for yourself. Now, I have high standards. I have standards for myself. I have standards for people that are going to be in my life for how I'm going to be treated and the boundaries that I have. My boundaries are standards. They're not expectations because expectations is that you must do something. Otherwise, I will be upset. And, and I disconnect. I said, you can do whatever you want. I am never going to be upset by anything that you do in life or that the way that the world turns, it doesn't matter. That's my stoic approach to it. I will deal with it because I don't, I don't need to, I'm not dependent on those things. That's not going to influence. Now I may feel different emotions and that's kind of where the, where the overlap is, is that again, just like I said, fear is something that you can't directly control. Anger is also something you can't directly control. Like you said, it's, it's your body saying there's a boundary being violated. So, you know, there's sort of (laughs) kind of diving into a bunch of different rabbit trails, but, but, um, but there's three ways to deal with emotions. One is to express it. The second is to suppress it. And the third is to process it. Mm-hmm. And so in the instances, you know, so, so the first guard against anger is dropping expectations. If you could perfectly drop expectations, I believe that you would really never feel anger anymore. It's all just that unmet expectation, right? Uh, that's not completely realistic, but it's an ideal to shoot for. The second stage is to, you know, because you can't always control that. So, so maybe you have expectations, you haven't gotten to that. So something does make you angry. So then the, the correct expression is to process the emotion, then let it go mm-hmm. as opposed to expressing it. Cause when we express anger, that means that some emotion is dictating an action. And that means that someone else has a button they can push to make me do a thing. They're the puppet master. And I never want to be controlled. That's why I always see anger as weaknesses because I see it as, you know, and, and you think about it like a like a leader. Like let, let's say that you have someone you know, who's commanding an army of men, right? And you're relying on them to to make important decisions. And they and and they get some letter from a courier, and they get pissed off. Do you trust that person more or less? Like, or would you? Or or someone again, a different commander gets a letter. It's bad news. Whatever he looks at it, he's not pleased but he doesn't act angry at all. He just puts away and then makes his plan. Right. Uh, another good, good instance I would give you is, you know, I, I used to get into a lot of fights, unfortunately, and I, I'm pretty good at picking out who not to fight at the bar. Right. So good skill. I'll tell you the guy that gets up in my face and is yelling and is like, I'm going to kick your ass. You know what I mean? That guy, I'm not afraid of that guy. I'm going to lay that guy out. It's not, a, you know, I'm not afraid of that guy. The guy that, shows no emotion that says, Hey, maybe we should step outside. He slowly takes off his shirt or just, you know, takes off his jacket and he's getting ready. 
that guy, I'm like, hold on, hold on, man. Maybe we should, I should buy you a beer and we should have a beer and chat this out. You know, maybe we should hug this one out. Right. Cause I, cause that's the guy I'm afraid of. Yeah. Okay. Because he, the guy who's angry, I'm not afraid of. Cause I, I know the guy, the guy, cause I, even the guy who's angry, I know I can make him even more angry. I can make him fuck up. Like anger is going to make you make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. I, maybe that's why I, I kind of intrinsically stumbled upon this. Whereas the guy that's not angry, that gets into a fight. That guy, I know he knows what he's doing. He's probably a skilled fighter because he's in control of his emotion. And so that's sort of my whole, but I'd love to hear your, any counters you have or your take on that or what I said, but. Oh, I totally, I totally agree. And I think that there's, I think, but I think there's a distinction to be made. And the distinction is, is, as you, is consciousness. If you are unconscious to your anger, it is absolutely a weakness. If you get, if you, if something does not go your way and anger comes up in you just on a, on a day-to-day basis, then that's absolutely weakness. And another person or life can push is technically pushing your buttons. If you're aware of your anger, as in, as you'd be aware of any of your emotions, it becomes an incredibly useful tool. And one of those tools can be, it's a great, emotions are a great source of information. I'm feeling, I'm feeling angry right now. I'm in control of the emotion. It's not conscious. We can't, obviously, we can't control our emotions. That's not the point of having emotions. They come up in us uh, f- through some subconscious process, which would be a separate conversation. But they come up us and then we feel it and then our mind catches it. It's like, okay, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anger right now. What's going on with that? And this is what you're saying about processing it. And there are some instances where I'd say that's very, very useful. But there is a moment where the anger needs to be allowed to be expressed. And there are some extraordinary circumstances where that would be the case. For example, in combat, whether that be in the MMA ring or boxing or whatever, jujitsu, whatever you're into, that's the sort of situation where really tapping into that level of anger, that's what made Mike Tyson, one of the things that made Mike Tyson, in addition to being a genetic specimen, but that's one of the things that made him such an excellent fighter was that he had, and he, he talks about this, that he had this rage that he could just tap into that in addition to having the, the body and the genetics and the training to making him an excellent fighter was this power source that would take him further than anyone else. Right. And it's, it's useful in that situation, sports. And I think there would also be times, uh, there would also be times in battle, like when men would go and still do go into war where it becomes this very useful power, this very useful energy source, but it has to be conscious because if it becomes unconscious, then it takes over you and then it owns you. And then you, and then you lose you lose the, the captain of the ship. You know, it's like you're stealing, steering the ship, you know, if, if everyday life is if you're steering your boat, you're the captain of your ship and you're riding the waves and the wind and all this, when anger comes up, it's almost as if this propeller suddenly springs out of nowhere. You're not sailing anymore. If that thing just goes and you lose handle of the wheel, then you start flying all over the place and the situation is worse. But if suddenly when the propeller switches on, I'm mixing all these metaphors up, so I hope, yeah. I hope it's all making sense. The, the, when it just switches on, if you can hang on to the wheel and you understand why it's there and what it's trying to do, you become just immensely powerful. And I was talking to um, I was talking to Mr. Swift about this, who was one of the guests on my podcast. We had this as a, in a private conversation, and this is the riddle of the Sphinx. And the riddle of the Sphinx is the body of an animal and the head of a man. And that's the ideal. That's the ideal situation. That is the perfected human being. Is you have this incredibly powerful, instinctual animal body 
we do know animals feel emotion because dogs feel shame. We've seen that before. Right. But to feel that animalistic power, this it's it's something that is beyond the rational mind. But if you if you let the rational mind control it, which is a process of growth and training, then you become more than you could possibly be with sheer willpower alone. But learning to merge those those two halves of the body is very difficult. And uh, I don't know that I could suggest one road for everybody, but I know that combat sports is, seems to be as a good one, as good a one as it, that's available today. I definitely agree on the, on the merging of the, the instincts of the, the instincts of the body and acting out of, out of instinct. I'm not totally sold on the Mike Tyson. I would say that, I mean, it's hard to say like, but if Mike Tyson was not angry, not fueled by rage and he was, completely operating out of his instinctual muscle memory and looking at every every fight from a logical standpoint as opposed to an, an anger-based standpoint, would he be more successful? Are there are there instances where he was goaded and that goading see that's the thing when I think about that's combat. What that's what happened with Evander Holyfield when you bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. The yeah. rage just, it took him over. And but that, that was towards the end of his career when he could no longer, for various reasons relating to becoming a superstar and a celebrity and, and living the life, that he lost that monk-like discipline to control to control the power. But sorry, I catch you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no. But but yeah, yeah. That's, and that, I mean, that's an example of like like being, I, I feel like if you're, but but I'm almost, I'm almost contradicting or myself, right? In the sense that when I start to talk about goading, then I'm going right back to what you're saying about not steering the ship and having that, that force. I just question whether anger itself is a force that is beneficial in any way, right? If you take any circumstance and you remove the anger from it. And the reason why is I come back to the idea of expectations, right? So I'll give you the example of, of like myself overcoming anger. And, and before I do that, I, I would say that one thing that's important, at least to note that I have discovered in my life is as I let go, I basically made a, a commitment to not allow people to put expectations on me and not to ever put expectations on other people mm-hmm. and, and really on the world. Since I've done that, I would say that I had gone from experiencing maybe 40% of my emotions being negative emotions in my life to probably less than 1%. It's very rare. Like if I look back in the last five years and I try to think of times that I've been angry, it's probably like two times that I've had really any kind of really negative emotion because letting go of expectations, I feel is extremely powerful mm-hmm. and, and it's the most logical thing. But one instance of it that, that, you know, that, that happened for me was I remember I was driving in, in, in my car and I had road rage. You know, some guy cut me off and I was stuck in traffic at the same time. And I'm sitting there in the car and I'm like pounding my hand on the, on the steering wheel. I'm like, fuck fuck, what the hell? You know, why is this? I got to, I'm late. Like, and I'm getting all angry about this. And then I had this check-in with myself and, and this is kind of, you know, like what you're saying about being conscious. Like I had this conscious moment. I was like, I was like, what, what are you doing right now, John? Like, you're like, this is who are you angry at? <laughs> right. And I'm like, this is silly. This is ridiculous. Like, why do you expect that you're going to be somewhere? Like there's, there's not going to be traffic or someone's not going to cut you off. This is ridiculous for you to believe that someone else. So, so I started almost laughing at myself and, and I checked in with myself and I was like, okay, yeah, you're feeling anger right now, but it's silly. It's ridiculous. And I was able to let go of it. And 
I started to train myself. So the next time I got in the car, that anger came again, you know, getting in traffic. And then immediately if it took a shorter cycle time before I said, oh, this is a silly, it's because you have this expectation that you believe that you should like, just, you, you can't control these things. It's, mm-hmm. it's silly to get angry about things you can't control. Let go of that. And then it finally got to a point where it doesn't even happen. Now it's sort of in, intrinsic. So, uh, so, the, so the anger doesn't even exist mm-hmm. at all. There's no trigger for it anymore. Whereas before it was the processing and management of that anger as a, to not allow it to control my actions. So I don't know, I, I'm sort of, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not completely, I, I, I would say that, that someone who dropped expectations and so was able to experience less anger, that they would be in more control and have a better life and function better than someone who, who had conscious anger and tried to use that in any capacity. I can't think of really good. I mean, the fighting is probably the best example and I can't say for absolute sure. I mean, in the, in the fight, well, I can say just from my own experience, in the fights that I've been in, I, I did Muay Thai for a while, I did various martial arts. I've gotten into sparring matches and been, and someone got me a good one in the, in the shin and I've gotten angry and I've tried to use that as fuel and it's, it hasn't gone, my thinking process was not as, as rational right? As much as you know, when I'm consumed by that rage, I'm just not processing things as clearly. Where I've been in other situations being in a fight where I have not gotten angry and I've been calm and kept my breathing like focused on, on just, this is, there, there's nothing personal here. There's no, I don't, I'm not, I'm just doing, this person is doing this thing. I'm watching this thing. I'm being aware of it. I'm responding. And I'm not using, I'm not wasting or using energy that I don't need to. So I don't know, that's, that's my take on it. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think this is, this is what we're doing as men is we're navigating our way through all these things that, yeah. you know, that, that none of us have the answers for that in a sense we're rediscovering or reinventing is what I say for a new age. So, you know, we're figuring this out. And, and I would say that in the instance of getting into a car and experiencing road rage, there is no, nothing productive that is going to come of that. And my coaching in that regard would be to actually sit down with the person who's like, well, what are you actually angry about? And, and talk them through and just, and what we would probably discover is the person feeling, whether that's you or someone someone else feeling that because I've certainly, I don't get road rage, but I get frustrated with people driving for sure. Um, I would sit down and I would work with them to find out this stored anger that seems to come up under the most mundane of circumstances is probably the result of a boundary that was crossed a long time ago where this energy is now just trying to get out and through... You know, through various techniques, you can get back into that memory or to that experience and find out the boundaries cross. Let's release the anger out of the situation and then you can be in control of yourself a little bit more. But I think in, in extraordinary circumstances uh, like combat, um, there, is a, there is a place and a time for the purpose, of the, the purpose of the person violating your boundary is to destroy you. And maybe Mui, maybe the guy's not actually going to, he's not trying to destroy you. Um, but this is the exceptional circumstance where it's like, no, no, the crossed boundary isn't just a matter of like, oh, oops, sorry, I, I harmlessly made a mistake. It's I'm going to eliminate you and your entire way of life and everything that you've ever cared about and your very existence. And, uh, you know, combat and mortal combat isn't, uh, not the video game, but uh, battle, you know, and that's, that is when men go to war, that is the very essence of, 
I'm not trying to just offend you or, or step on your toes. Like I'm trying to obliterate you in your way of life. And I think this is the, this is the point where anger can serve a very protective, a protective function, not protective in terms of something, um, something petty, right? Something petty would be like, oh, you know, you, you know, you drank the last, you know, you drank the last beer or something like that in the fridge. What the fuck, bro? You know what I mean? Where that anger right. comes up. It can, it can be like someone, uh, someone you trusted, you know, breaks into your house and steals something precious from you. It's like, well, you can, you can frame that as a standards thing. Like, I have a standard that the people that I care about don't steal my shit, <laughs> you know, and I don't have any expectations of reality. And that's, that philosophically, that's very accurate. Like, yes, you can, you can regard things in that way. And that there's, there's a lot of overlaps with Buddhism and Stoicism where it's like, this is just what is and don't argue with reality. Um, but the Western, the sort of, I guess you might say, I don't want to know, I don't know if it's specifically Judeo-Christian, but there's another approach that particularly Western relating to Buddhism in any way that says, no, the feeling that you feel in response to that, that sense of violation that someone came in and actually violated you, there's valuable information in that. That doesn't mean you get out your sword and you, you know, you know, you pledge a blood oath to eliminate them in their entire line. Like that's probably taking it a bit too far. That's letting it go into irrationality. But that anger of being violated, of having something precious and personal about yourself, being violated and the trust broken is a direct strike against you as a being in some way. I mean, there's a, that's an interpretation, but there, there, there could actually be that intention. Like, no, I'm actually going to do what I can to harm this person. I'm actually going to do something malicious. That anger is a response that defends the being from violation. And that's a place that I think anger can be very productive. We don't live in that world most of the time. Let's, I want to be clear about that, that right. you know, taking everything personally to that degree. You drank the last beer. I'm, I pledge to destroy <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you. Know? But, but I, think, I think it's one of those things that as I've gone on my own journey of, of masculinity, and I think this is up particularly lately for a lot of us as men in cancer cult, cancel culture and, uh, and radical feminism. It's like, these are things that are philosophically devoted to destroying men's masculinity and have gone, done a pretty good job with a lot of men. And I think that there's a place in that when your very existence is being, is being threatened in some way that the anger can be felt. It's like, no, this is fucked up and I'm not going to go on a crusade and destroy you. I'm not going to get unrational, irrational about it, but I'm still going to feel this anger and I'm going to let it, let me know that this is wrong and I'm going to do what I can rationally and thoughtfully to push back against that. And so as long as we don't throw out that anger with the counterproductive road rage anger, then totally fine. And we, maybe we need two different words. Maybe rage and anger are two different words. Rage is the unconscious version of anger. As long as, because I, I, I find that that righteous anger gets lost and I think it's an important thing to learn to feel. Maybe, maybe we're not all quite qualified to act on it yet, but certainly to feel it and be like, no, this is okay that I feel this way. This is trying to teach me something important. And so that's the point that I'm trying to make about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see, I can see that lens. I'm still not a hundred percent. I would still, I would still say that a completely rationalistic approach would be preferable if you look at game as a life, as if you look at life as a game of chess, for instance, there's no instance in which being angry at your opponent's move would would make you make a better move. And so, even in the instance of like a, a trusted friend breaking in and stealing something valuable from me, would I feel a tinge of anger in that place? Perhaps, maybe not. I mean, I, I tend to look at everything in life 
and and it's not something that you just switch on or off. It's, it's something that's developed over time. But my perspective is that everything is borrowed and nothing belongs to me and that uh, everything will return to to whence it came, including the atoms of my body. Uh, and that doesn't, that, no, that nothing is, is mine. And so there's, there's no ability for me to suffer a loss, right? Again, do I want to depart with things? No, not, not necessarily. I mean, I'm still going to be, be human, but, but my, my viewpoint would be that there's, there's not a benefit. So let's say someone breaks in and, and steals something valuable to me. I can say, okay, well, I don't have any expectation that they're not going to do that. It is a violation of a boundary. It's a, a standard that I have. And then now if I'm acting out of emotion in any way, like, like anger, then I feel like something has been done to me and then I must take action in order to restore my honor or to whatever it is. But it's a not pragmatic viewpoint. If I instead sit back, if I have no emotion about it, if I'm able to, obviously I don't want a thing. It's not, it's not beneficial to my goals in life that, that people who I trust come in and take things from me. There's a lesson still in it. And in, in like, I've learned something. It, it's almost, I don't have to feel anger. Instead, I can feel almost a, a sense of, I don't want to say joy. That's not exactly the, the word, but I can translate any negative emotion to a positive emotion and say, I'm thankful that I just learned this important information about this person because they were already what they were. I just was not aware of it. I just became more aware. My consciousness just became elevated. My awareness became elevated. And so I can now decide in this frame what response is the appropriate response that needs to be done. And the reason why I put it that way is because I can't ask myself that question if I'm clouded by any kind of emotional attachment to the situation. I have to be completely objective and say, does it make sense to pursue this person to pursue this object? Does it make sense to eliminate this friendship? Does it make sense to really call a person on the phone and tell them how displeased I am? Or does it make sense to me for me to just distance myself from that person? Like, like what is the actual real logical pragmatic response to this? Is this person actually, is this now really a threat to my life? Is this likely to be repeated again if I don't take an action? And maybe my response is actually, there's a really good book, uh, called the 50th law. It's, it's Robert Greene at 50 cent. And it's kind of interesting because there's, there's this one part in the book that really struck with me. And this maybe influenced a lot of what, what I have to say about anger is there's this, this point where 50 cent something happens, right? And I forget exactly what it was. So someone gives him some bad news or something and he takes the TV and he throws it off the wall and he's like, and he like puts on, and it's all an act. It's all a performance. He's not actually angry. At least he says he wasn't right. And he said that he just displayed that, that anger, even though he wasn't angry, to make a point to scare people. Like, again, I'm not suggesting that, that you should necessarily do that in all circumstances, but in some circumstances, it may make sense to, I would say it's a more powerful move to display anger that isn't true in the sense to make someone fear you or to, to, uh, to, to set a very clear boundary Right. So, so for instance, I've done this many times where I will talk in a very stern tone or I'll raise my voice. Right. And I'm not actually internally angry, but I'm doing it to demonstrate a point, especially we would do this, for example, with training a dog, right. In, in a stern voice, we, if you're training a dog and you're actually angry at the dog and you're talking in a stern voice, it's not really as effective. You're more effective as a man by being able to separate that out. So that's kind of where I look at it is from a very pragmatic viewpoint of saying, I, st I still don't see an instance where actually being angry is going to, 
to benefit you because it's never going to be, you know, again, I'm very mathematical. So I look at like the tree of like probabilities and it's like from, it's, it's never, there's no path that I can find in that tree where the introduction of the emotion of anger ends up in the most pragmatic course of action. Mm-hmm. There are instances where it, it has a high probability of lowering the, the chance of use of you picking the most pragmatic action, but it never increases the odds that you're going to do the more pragmatic thing. Now it might spur you to action when you otherwise wouldn't be, but that's, that's the small like sliver of, of maybe that I could say, but, but even in that case, then I would say, okay, so that just like any other signal that comes to my body, I mean, if, if I stick myself with a pin, I'll feel pain, but that that that's just information and then i just i i don't dwell in that pain i'm like okay so that that hurt right and so maybe i could i could see i guess maybe where we might overlap is where i would say okay so because you may be wired in a certain way and certain things we have this sense of justice and and honor within ourselves something happens it violates that boundary like like you said we feel this tinge of anger which is just like a finger prick in the in in, in the finger mm-hmm. and we immediately say ah Ah, this there, there's something here. We 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 say, oh, I feel angry. We let go of the anger, and then we re-engage our logical mind and say, okay, what is the best way to to respond to this? I don't have any ego in it. I don't have any expectations in it. You have to because you have to like let go of the ego because the ego is what what feels the 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 injury. It's like pain for the ego is what anger is, right? It's like and so you, it's almost like you have to let go of the ego. You have to let go of the expectation, and then say, okay. Now that I got this information, I don't care about it. That's, it's just information, just like a finger prick. It, it, it's just giving me a signal. And now what's the most logical, pragmatic thing to do? I don't know. That's my long-winded. I, this is a good discussion. I hope that oh, you're... This is fun. I love this stuff. This is, I live for this. Yeah. So, so, um, and, 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 I, and I agree with you. I think that there are, uh, I think there are many times, many cases in life, in fact, probably more often than most people realize right now, where this is, this is really important because we've been living... Uh, collectively, probably in America, in this kind of irrational kind of just go along with the flow, quasi new age reaction to Christianity kind of world where it's like everything is kind of a mess. And stoicism is really practical for establishing some sense of masculine structure to begin rebuilding the self around. Like whatever your feelings are, whatever your emotions are in the moment, uh, you need to you need to button those up, you know, and move forward in your life because you know, you're, you're dying. There are many things are dying. And so stoicism provides this, this framework for men to do that. And it's very, very, uh, very powerful for that. And uh, I read uh, Marcus Aurelius meditations and I loved it. I couldn't believe that, you know, here's this guy, this was his private journal. Like he didn't right. think anyone was ever going to read this. <laughs> he might be horrified. Like, oh, you're reading that. What? <laughs> you know, and that's really yeah. special. And I was reading, um, at the same time I was reading, um, I was reading the Bible. I was reading uh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, which was written by King Solomon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would read Proverbs in the morning and Marcus Aurelius in the evening. And I have these two great minds from all of history, you know, that I'm reading. And it's like, wow, I get to enjoy these men and their, their private thoughts about life and what they really believe and how timeless that was. It was like time traveling in a way. It's like, how can these guys be speaking to me, you know, thousands of years later in a world that they couldn't possibly understand or uh, imagine. But anyway, that's my little side story about that. But I, I, I loved meditations very much. And, but what I keep coming back to is this, one of the, one of the criticisms that I had about meditations is he comes across and Buddhism is, is as well. It's a, it's a very much a philosophy of, of non-attachment. 
uh, which is great. And, and we need that. But are there things that are worth fighting for? Is it worth saying my life and my existence is precious to me and I will do anything to fight for my own survival when it's threatened? And that's the sort of extraordinary circumstance that I'm talking about, right. where if, if you don't value, if you don't value your very existence, if you believe that you're ephemeral, I'm not saying you, you obviously, but if you believe you're ephemeral or dust in the wind, or, you know, some like the Buddhism will say that your ego is an illusion and doesn't actually exist. If you believe all these things, and when someone threatens your very existence, let's break it down to brass tacks, you know, like, right. yeah. The fundamental, when someone threatens your very existence, it's, it's liable philosophically to say, oh, okay, well, I don't really exist anyway, so go ahead, you know? And that would be counterproductive to the notion of the philosophy, right? You know, Buddhism doesn't want you to be murdered, and I don't think, I don't think Stoicism does either, right? But you can reach this point, because then the philosophy doesn't continue, if only for any reason, but, but then you reach this point where you do experience that existential threat, that ultimate final boundary, and in that place, that anger is phenomenally useful. It, it transcends rationality, where rational, the rational mind cannot work fast enough cannot, and, and shouldn't be thinking through all the decision trees. The choice is to, sur is to survive and fight tooth and nail animalistically for your own survival or to die and, and be obliterated. And there's a space in that. And this is where I think, uh, where I think stoicism kind of reaches its, its end. Now, granted, that's a long way out there. That's, that's, yeah. that's to the outfield wall, you know? But nonetheless, once you get out to that outfield wall and you transcend the boundaries of rationality, there is nonetheless still an emotion there to be experienced that has something to teach us about being a man and about being alive. And may none of us ever actually cross that outfield wall. You know, I don't want anyone, uh, any of us to ever get there. But that's still a fundamental experience of being human and still a fundamental useful aspect of being a man in terms of our heritage, in terms of our genetic heritage of, of all of us are probably descended from warriors who went into battle, who had to fight on behalf of everything that they loved. And I think we need to reestablish that, you know, righteous righteous anger that, you know, Mel Gibson standing on the battlefield in Braveheart, you know, he, they're not, we're rationally processing that this is the best action to take against the English. You know what I mean? It's like, you raped our wives and taken our lands and we're going to fucking kill you for it. You know, that's not, that's, yes, you can say that's rational, but there's something that's beyond rational about that. And so that's, that's the point to be able to allow ourselves to feel that. It's not necessarily to act it, you know what I mean? But to feel that has something really powerful to teach us about being a man. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that, that if you, if you say that, um, that if he says that that he's doing it because of anger, that strategically he'll probably make less. They'll make less uh, uh, less optimal battle decisions than if they're strategically thinking about what to do. Uh, but but there's there's you know again a lot of times I think it, everything that we're looking at right it, I think is important to understand and this is good I really love this conversation because not very many guys can have like everything today like in the in the men's space is like no this is it and this is and so you're a cuck if you don't believe this <laughs> and it's like no as men we're supposed to have dialogues and like be seeking the truth and seeking to broaden our understanding because I know just from talking to you I've broadened I, I've moved a little bit. I'm like, ah, okay, wait a minute. There's some things here, right? And so that's the whole point is that's what we should be seeking. But, um, but uh, I think I think one thing that that you'll like is, and, and, and so what I was gonna say is that one thing I like to to do in, in or everything is a model, right? So we're always looking through a lens of some lens. So there's so 
when we even use the word anger, we've, we've sort of taken this thing that is, it has lots of tentacles and we've put it into a box and said, okay, this is, this, we've labeled it emotion. Emotions don't really have a label. There's like, it's just like the color spectrum, right? It's like, it goes from, you know, red to, to blue or whatever. And it's like, well, which, when, when does red become orange? Uh, you know, anger is emotions are, you know, every, everything in life is like that, but we have to sort of label things. Otherwise we can't really function. And so, so there's definitely, you know, looking at it from the model and then we kind of optimize our behavior out of those models. But one thing that I will say about that, cause, cause I think there's some, some definite truth to what you're saying, because obviously like, you know, and I give some advice to guys in, in relationships and I say like, look, be open. Right. So I did this one video. I said, you know, why you should fall in love as an alpha male. And I talk about this idea of like, even if you're just with a girl for a night, you should be in love with her. Like, don't be afraid. But, but if you have non-attachment, then you're able to fully be yourself, fully express yourself as an emotional human being. But because of the non-attachment, you're not needy. You're not nice guy. You're not, you know, and, and it's kind of the same thing. I, I would say, you know, if I'm going to apply it there, I would have to apply it like you said, to specific instances of, of anger where it's like, as long as you're non-attached and you can, you can be, you can experience the emotion of anger without being not, without being attached, mm-hmm. then there you go. Then, then you're, 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 you're never going to steer yourself in, in the wrong direction. Right. So, you know, we could quibble then whether you should have so little expectations that you have no anger at all or not. And that's a, it's a, it's almost a moot point at that point because the, the effectiveness doesn't change whether you, you have that small little little difference. Up. But well, one thing I think that you'll you'll find useful that uh, one one of my life philosophies that I talk about a lot is uh, begin in pragmatism, end in pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And so, and and I think one part that that kind of is missing from from this whole thing where where it fits in is principles. Mm-hmm. And so my whole thing, like beginning pragmatism and end pragmatism, what it means to me is that I start off looking at a situation from a very pragmatic viewpoint, right? I want to accept reality. I don't have any emotional attachment or feelings about it. It is what it is. This is a pragmatic viewpoint. We'll take mask wearing, for example, because this is one that- Yes, please. It would get me angry, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it has never gotten me angry. It, it has certainly gotten yeah. me angry, okay? So- the, the whole thing with the coronavirus, just the whole restrictions of personal liberties. I'm a libertarian. So yeah. it's, it, you know, that, that, that's something that, that definitely conflicts with my, with my view. So from right a very prag, what's that? Right there with you. Sorry. Okay, good. So, so from a very pragmatic viewpoint, you can look at it and say, okay, well, it is what it is. Governor's orders, you know, businesses are shut down. Like I'm not changing anything, you know, uh, all of these things, like, you know, you can look at the pragmatic viewpoint of it. Then the next step after looking at, and, and you have to do that in a non-emotional way. You have to just say, okay, this is what the lay of the land is. Okay. They've killed all the women after they raped them. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. <laughs> okay. <That's It's>, what <laughs> we have to look at this and just see it, not attach any kind of emotion or interpretation to it. It is what has happened. Yeah. Okay. So then <laughs> after that <laughs> stage, <laughs> <laughs> after that stage, Conan the Barbarian was here. All right, after that stage, uh, that Conan has his thing about what it means to be a man is like to to crush your enemy enemies utterly and 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 hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, but then after pragmatism, then comes principles. Now we apply the principle stage. Now, hey, guess what? The pragmatic thing for me to do is to wear a mask, to not make a ruckus and just 
because I'm not changing society. I'm not changing the world, getting a fine or whatever, or throwing, it doesn't actually pragmatically make a difference. But the, the next stage is the principle. Principally, no, if I, I, I will, now I'm processing, I'm saying, okay, what are my higher principles? My highest principle is freedom personal freedom. So therefore, if I'm on someone's personal property, a store or something like that, and they ask me to wear a mask, I'll make a choice. I'll either wear a mask and go on their property or I won't go on their property because I'm not going to infringe on their property, on their rights. And, and that's why, see, a lot of people, a lot of men now are getting angry and they're like, no, no, I'm not wearing a mask in Costco. And I'm like, the whole point of not wearing a mask is that they're infringing on your freedom. And now you want to infringe on an owner of a property's freedom by not allowing them to decide who is allowed on their property and not, and what the requirements are. They can let you on or not for any reason. So, so that's kind of like, that's why it's, I think that attached non-attachment is so important. So from a principal standpoint, my principal says, okay, personal freedom is high. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so in, in these circumstances, you know, in walking into a store, I'll wear a mask. If I'm out on the street and a police officer says, wear a mask, I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to do it. Right. So now comes, so I've, I've laid out the principles of, of the matter. Then I end in pragmatism. So now I've, I've, I started in pragmatism. I took a lay of the land, saw, you know, what happened, you know, what, what is the current state? I, I, I then went to my principles and I said, okay, where, how do my principles stack up? You know, and it's always, it's not just principles. It's, it's principles have a order of priority. And, and when you stack the order of priority, that determines right action, right? You have to have, and, and some people value different principles at different higher levels, but you have to know what your principles are and, and why you value them in that specific order, right? Mm-hmm. So that determines right action. And then you end in pragmatism, which is to say, okay, now based on all that information, based on how you should act with principles, what actually makes sense here? So for instance, and then this is where it becomes, you know, so, so let's say that I'm on the street, right? And a police officer says, wear a mask or you'll get a thousand dollar fine. I'm willing to accept a thousand dollar fine. I'm willing to accept jail time. Mm -hmm. But let's say that I'm in Mexico and a police officer says, if you don't put a mask on, I'm going to blow your head off. Yeah. I'm going to put a mask on Mm -hmm. now and and see, I'm violating my principle in that case. One of (laughs) Yeah, one of my principles, but it's a pragmatic thing to do. So it doesn't always make sense to stand on principles always, absolutely, right? But it doesn't make sense to always be absolutely pragmatic. You have to have this balance and know. That's why I say like begin in pragmatism and end in pragmatism. And, and, and again, that whole thing, you know, what we're talking about with anger sort of falls in that space as well. It, it's, there, there's instances where it's, it's not going to make the most lo- logical, rational sense, but there's a principle behind it. And if we don't have principles, if we're just Spock, if we're just doing everything logically and analytically, mm-hmm. then it doesn't make any sense. We, we as men, as, as whether you believe in God or the universe, or, there has to be some divine nature, some cosmic type of, of consciousness because of the way that things are ordered. At least that's my belief in this world. I don't see any way to to, to not have at least some viewpoint of that, that there is, we have a moral, we have a, a sense of justice and right or, or wrong built within us. So we must have some principles and, and that has to play a part in it. And that's where I can see, again, that whole anger coming in to that is because that's where, you know, righteous anger sort of fits in that part of it. But it doesn't necessarily deny pragmatism as, as being something. So I don't know, that, that's sort of my way to navigate life. It's not perfect, but, but it's the best I've come up with so far. No, it works. And, and the mask issue is, is a great one because this is one that inspires a lot of anger in people. And I think for, 
for reasons that you're talking about and reasons that I'm talking about too, because for me, the mask thing is it, it's existential mm-hmm. in that this is not just about, hey, cover your, ma- cover your face. Ultimately, and we're seeing this now, and, and no one can deny this, the masks were about now you're going to take an injection in your arm. And you know what? You're not just going to take an injection. You're going to take at least two a year for the rest of your life, as long as we say you're going to. It's existential. Right. And some of us knew that from the start. No, I'm not wearing a mask because I know exactly where this is going. And now exactly. we're here. Now we're here. There's no denying that. And so people felt, and I, the people who, they may not be able to rationally express it, but they can feel inside themselves, there's some violation that's happening with this. That, that you know, first of all, for the First Amendment, it's freedom of expression. This on my face is my expression. And I have freedom to have that. So we can just talk about it in that regard. And then we're getting down to, you know, the notions of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and that that existence as it's like, these are the rights that I'm born with as a human being. These are not given to me by the government. These are rights that I'm fundamentally born with, and they are protected from government interference. And you don't get just to do that because you say that there's some thing out there that says I have to. It doesn't work that way. I get that right. Anyway, we can. That's a that's a that's a separate path that I'd like to go down. But I think also with regard to the small business thing, there's also something uh, the business thing. There's something as existential about that as well. It's not that you know, you don't have a choice what you're doing when you're going onto someone else's property. Yes, that's true. But they've also constructed the situation in such a way that the only businesses that are left are big giant businesses like that, that are controlled from one central point. You couldn't go, you can't even go to to small marketplace anymore. There's only giant conglomerates left anymore. So they've taken away your freedom to make choices to go to a place that doesn't force you to wear a mask. And so it's righteous in a way or right to be angry to say like, okay, you've taken away my freedom to choose by absolutely, and the, the, the data is not ambiguous. They've demolished small businesses and all that's left is Amazon, Costco, Walmart, these big giant corporate conglomerates that say, no, you have to wear a mask. And guess what? If you don't wear a mask, you don't get to eat this week. So it's like, no, I refuse to wear a mask because I recognize that what's going on is not just about this is a private property libertarian debate, though it also is. There's something much larger going on. And I think people feel that. They feel that it's existential in nature, but everything in them tells them, oh no, the media says this and my friends and family say this. And it's like, and that anger is welling up in people, you know, that's trying to tell them your boundary is being crossed. This is existential for you. And it's, it's coming closer. And we're talking about, uh, we were talking about anxiety earlier. And I've been having personally a lot of anxiety about this, you know, just like this feeling that this something is encroaching on me and this, right. you know what I mean? And it's been a real struggle. But and I, this is where I think anger becomes simultaneously very useful because anger is the tool that's necessary to push back on this to say, I can't quite say how, but there's a boundary being violated. And the challenge is that anger has been so heavily shamed in our culture today that, oh, look at you being the angry man. And that's the, that's the double trap that sucks, you know, but it's still very much a thing. It's like, no, I am angry. And I can tell you exactly why I'm angry. And that's where you have to bring it all the way around to what we've been talking about. You have to feel the anger. And yet also, as you say, master it rationally, like the guy, um, Ian Smith at Attila's gym in New Jersey, who I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. that's a guy, he's obviously really angry, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to be smarter than all of you. And I'm going to do these hundred things. I'm going to prove how wrong you are. So find me $15,000 a day. 
I don't care. And he's the guy that's taken that anger on and really mastered it in this way, you know, and allowed it to fuel him. That's a dude. He's only gotten bigger during the, during the lockdowns too. He's a huge dude now. But I have a lot of respect for that. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is he's using that anger to say, rather than unmanning himself and like getting in some cops or investigator's face, he's like, I'm going to take this anger. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to channel it to be even better than I would have been otherwise. And now he's, you know, he's one of the heroes of these days. And that's how I see the synthesis of what you and I are talking about. Yeah. And I would see it as a sense of injustice as opposed mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he's necessarily angry. Maybe he started off angry, but in order to perform those rational actions. And what I would say about this, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I, I did a video on this. It wasn't, it wasn't super popular because I tend to tick off like everyone at some point. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I, I, there's no sacred ground for me. There's no sacred <laughs> ground. Right. So, so what I was talking about, cause I was talking about pragmatism, the mass thing. And, and obviously, so like, just to be clear, I'm against, I'm not entirely 100% sure, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but that, that the whole COVID-19 is even legit at all. Mm-hmm. I don't see any truly scientific, I could be convinced either way, don't get me wrong, because if people are like, I say this and people are like, oh, you're one of those. No, I'm not one of those. I just, I haven't seen uh, isolated viral virus. Not, I'm not talking about viral fragments. I'm talking about an isolated virus that has been sequenced. That's show me that. That's all I'm saying. You know, I'm not saying it's not real, but I'm saying that I'm about 50 50 on it. I, it. It's conceivable to me that the entire thing is completely fake and there's no such thing as it, or there's some other mechanism that's, that's causing people to come in. There's a lot of possibilities here. I'm not ruling them out. Right. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to operate under the assumption that it is real and, and to, for example, get a test or something like that. Not that I completely trust those either, but exactly. I'm willing to operate. You have to have some kind of operational framework in reality. You can't just say, well, everything could not be true. You know, that's <laughs> right. So, so I'll operate like that. But so uh, I believe that, you know, in personal liberty above all, other things that there's no constitution ha, constitution has nothing to do with it. It's just, you don't have the right to par, to harm someone else or take the property. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you have the right to own property. That's like, those are the fundamental building blocks of everything. I believe if you just use those two guiding lights, you'll solve 99% of the problems in, in the world and be doing the principally right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe uh, that the mask is a violation of that. Clearly require, I believe that there is, a, some kind of a grand conspiracy going on and that it is that this was an agenda and that it is pushing in the direction. And, and I'm against all of those things, including the forced vaccinations and all that stuff. So with that said, from the pragmatic viewpoint, I think there's a couple of things to, to think about. So, so one of them is sort of a, a, a mental image. Imagine that you're going to be sold into slavery. You know, it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. You can try, you can get angry, you can fight, you can spit, you can bite, whatever you can do, but you're going to be sold into slavery and you're going to become a slave. That's just how it is. You know, this is happening. What's the proper response? I mean, no, there's going to be some, you're not going to want it. Like the, the proper response is, is, is not, you know, like you're saying about the whole, like, you know, Buddhist type of thing. It's like, okay, well, I'm nothing anyway. So, you know, whatever. I yeah. mean, you're obviously not going to prefer it, but you should also accept it. Not saying that we should accept all these things, but what I'm saying is that if it if something is inevitable, this is the whole Stoic of the Stoic philosophy, the, the illustration of the, the cart dragging the dog, 
versus the, the, the dog following the cart. You know, the dog is chained to the cart. Cart is going. Mm-hmm. You're the dog. You're either going to be dragged or you're going to walk along. Right. It's, you know, that's, that's kind of how fate is like things that you have no control over in life. And, and so to a very large degree, when I look at the situation, you know, if I, if I dare say the word that I'm, that I'm angered by it, I would, this would be something that would, would make me feel anger. Okay. Mm -hmm. I try not to be angry about it because I try to not take it personally, but I definitely, I would go, I would definitely go as far to say that I feel a great sense of injustice about what's, what's happening here. A, A very deeply ingrained sense of injustice here. That, that is wrong. But I try not to be angry about it. And, and I try to think about, well, how much of this do I actually have control over? Now, it's a real valid question for me because I have a decent sized YouTube channel and following. I can influence a lot of people. I have access to, to, to some people. And, and so, so I think from a very pragmatic viewpoint, well, what can I do at an individual level? Does it make sense? So for example, if I throw a fit and refuse to wear a mask and, and things like that, does that actually change anything at an individual level? No. If I organize a band of people to do it and to demonstrate or to take up arms and, 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 uh, and, and defend their rights with force, which I'm not ruling that out, mm. that is an actual action that could actually make a difference and actually potentially change things, especially if, you know, so, so, so from a very pragmatic viewpoint, I look at it from those kind of two lenses. One is like, okay, what do I believe and what do I think this is wrong? Yeah. And I don't have to abandon that belief to also be the dog that realizes that he's chained to the cart and realizes that he must make the best of the situation. And so, so, so then I look at it and say, okay, well, what am I going to do? What am I prepared to do? Am I actually going to raise an army? If I'm not like, like I have to either choose, I'm either going to raise an army and I'm going to actually do something that will be potentially effective, or I need to just forget about, realize that I'm being sold into slavery. It sucks. There's not much I can do about it and figure out how can I live my best life as a slave? I know that sounds really messed up, mm-hmm. but, but when you think about it from a very pragmatic viewpoint, and, and that's kind of the advice I, I would give to guys is like, okay, let's either all do something or from a very individualistic, pragmatic viewpoint, you should not get upset by all this stuff. Realize that a lot of injustice has happened in the world. There's been a lot of fucked up situations worse than this throughout history that people have had to endure. And they've done it with dignity. A really good book is, uh, you've probably read it, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is kind of, you know, that's what's happening to us, as much as it sucks, and I completely disagree with it, is nowhere near to what happened to Viktor Frankl being put into a concentration camp during the Holocaust and being subject to all kinds of physical, sexual torture and starvation and watching people die and and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And he did it with the mindset of, I'm not angry. I'm not upset about this. He didn't obviously want it to happen. I'm not trying to show the guards a fight. He said, this is my situation. I'm going to live it as best as I possibly can. And I'm going to maintain my sense of dignity and my, my, maintain my sense of freedom and free will by realizing that I still have, they can never take from me my choice. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's sort of how I look at the lens. Even though on one side, I'm like, I could just tear into a fucking rage about this whole thing going on. And I am completely just bored by it, you know, 
have has anyone ever read 1984? I mean, what the fuck are we doing as a society that we're allowing this kind of bullshit to happen? There's also the side of me that says, well, from a very pragmatic standpoint, if I'm not raising an army, right? And I'll talk about it. I'll talk about socially. And maybe that's my contribution is that I get people riled up. But from a very pragmatic standpoint, at, at some point you have to realize that you're kind of like Viktor Frankl being put into the the concentration camp. And yeah, there were a lot of guys that took a different approach that got into that concentration camp that died and they didn't, and they didn't change anything and they didn't save anyone and nothing happened except that they died. Uh, whereas Victor Frankel got through the situation, lived through it, maintained his sense of dignity and free will and decision, and then wrote a book about it and changed countless people's lives afterwards. So that, that's where I'm sitting on it now. And again, like I'm trying to explain it as delicately as possible because it, it pisses, no matter what, it pisses someone off because someone's like, oh, you're one of those people who's like, don't wear a mask. You don't care about killing grandma. Those people are pissed off at me listening to this right now. And then the, the people that are more of my way of thinking are like, you're a coward. How could you not stand up for this? How could you not like fight and be angry? And you're just going to let them do this. You're just going to be a dog chained to a cart, right? Um, and, and my answer is that there, you, you have effect over things that you can actually control in life. But the, but the things that you can't control in life, as soon as you recognize that a thing is a thing that you can't control in life, you need to then exercise non-attachment and completely detach yourself from any emotion related to that thing. Just like if you're sentenced to your death, like we're all sentenced to our death. We're all going to die someday. I could be angry about that. I could be like, I can't believe I'm a fucking mortal. What the fuck? You know what I mean? Or I could, I could be upset or sad about that or whatever, but it's coming. I'm, I'm on my way. I'm on a conveyor belt headed to the slaughterhouse. That's all of us. We're all going to die. So from a very rationalistic viewpoint, it doesn't make any sense. As soon as you know that something is inevitable, you must now accept it and, and cease to be emotional about it. That's, I don't know. That's my rational viewpoint of it. I'm, I'm open to counter arguments. Are you ready to be challenged as a man? I am. So your highest principle is freedom. Okay. So you're willing to sacrifice your highest principle and be sold into slavery if it's pragmatic? No, but here's, here's the test for it. Will, can I do something that will change that? Yes. How? You can die fighting free I, before you're a slave. I would die fighting if... And I would give my life for this. Mm -hmm. I would. If there was a chance of victory. If, if we're, so if, for example, right. Um, I'm trying to think. So, so again, you could, you could take the concentration camp example, right? You could say, how could those people let the Nazis round them up? Or, or, or how could, how could, how could people allow that, that were not Jews that, that how could they execute the orders of the Nazi that was, you know, that, that told them to do these things or whatever. And, 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 you know, you could say, well, they should just fight and they should just get shot. And if you as one individual fight and get shot, you don't, you serve no purpose. You don't, you haven't actually accomplished it. But now if we band together as brothers and form an army or form a band and fight and you say, John, will you take up a, will you take up a, a gun and will you join our army and will you fight for this freedom? Yeah, I'm with you. I will, I will fight to the death. But we have to have that, right? So if we're not going to take that step, then all, then 
any action that does not produce a result is, is wasted, right? And so I'm against wasted action. So the principle of, of fighting for freedom, yeah, I would totally do it. But it has to produce a result. Um, Martyrdom but- is a result as well. That would be, if you convince me to say, okay, well, if you die and then you're in the news and, and people see that, then that, that would change. Okay, sure. I could be convinced of that too. Are you ready to be challenged again? Okay. So you said at the beginning that we are entitled to our labor, not to the result. Mm. So in that frame, you just, you do, you're entitled to the labor, not that it necessarily is going to go anywhere. No, no. But that, I would say that that's a little bit of a different, when we're talking about the labor that produces some action for our good, for, for our action. For, Fighting right. for freedom. We're entitled to the fight, not to the victory. Necessary. Right, right. But if it doesn't produce anything, like, so there's no point also in doing pointless action, right? So I, okay. I wouldn't labor for nothing. It should, it should have some end goal behind it, even though I'm not entitled necessarily to that result, right? I, I wouldn't labor just for the, you know, I could, I could do a million random things. Why do I do any particular thing? Because it should have some purpose. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to be challenged again? I'm ready. Okay. Your success in life depends on the amount of uncertainty you can handle, Anthony Robbins. Right. So isn't doing this, uh, isn't this outcome uncertain? Isn't this outcome? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, the outcome is uncertain. You can't know if it'll be successful and you have to maybe perhaps tolerate that. By the way, just to make clear, this is all stuff that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> so this is yeah. personal for me. <laughs> so I don't want to make it sound like I'm setting up on some mountaintop, like I'm living with this every night. <laughs> so so, the, so um, not knowing the outcome, it's still uncertain. Do I personally, and now I'm talking about myself, mm-hmm. have the strength to step into that uncertainty and saying, I don't know what the outcome will going to be. It may be life and death, not just for me, but for my values and for my civilization. You know, we're talking about something ex- existential. Do, and this is the question that I'm asking myself, do I have the strength to step into that uncertainty? And this, and by the way, this reminds me, I wanted to tell you, when mm-hmm. I read that on your website, I had never actually seen that from uh, Tony Robbins before. I, I've read, uh, I've read uh, most of uh, Awakening the Giant Within. I haven't finished it, but I'd never actually seen that quote. And when I read that quote on your, literally on your website, the amount of uncertainty you can handle, it was this wonderful, comforting feeling that kind of came over me like, oh, wow, that's what I'm kind of resisting is that uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and so th- there is something like, wow. And so me asking myself, do I have the strength to step in to that uncertainty fully and simply live it? And isn't there something, I think you said in one of your videos about being alive, like being fully alive. Oh no, I was listening to another podcast, this guy Bards FM, uh, uh-huh. he, uh, he's amazing. And he, ta- he was talking about how he was in Afghanistan. He was a, a journalist in the, uh, documenting the Canadian military in Afghanistan. And he said it was the freest place he'd ever been. There was no rules or no regulations. Right. There's a lot of risk associated with it, right. but there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of truth in that. It's like, wow, stepping into that maximum certainty. And when you were saying about turning up the volume on fear to 11, it was like, okay, so let's, I was like, okay, I'll go do that. Like, let me turn up my fear to, the, to level 11. Like, can I step into the uncertainty with that? Maybe there's something really important and really masculine in that. And that's where I'm grappling with. Like, am I ready to throw myself off that cliff to engage in that process, knowing that it's not a roller coaster? You know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a plane flight. 
This is, this is really the battle for our lives. And what does that look like? And you say, like, what's the way to do that? And I think the way that this is unfolding is that it looks different for every man right now. That maybe for me, it looks like me stepping into this big year-long project that I'm planning. Maybe for you, it looks like something different. Maybe for you, it's your, it's your YouTube or the, the influences that you have to begin talking about this. Maybe someone else gets to raise the army. But each man has his own unique set of skills in this big complex society where it's not as simple as, you know, where I'm a farmer and I'm, when I'm not a farmer, I'm a warrior. It's like, no, we have this diversified set of skills. Maybe for each of us, it looks a little different to step into that and say, this is the purpose I can serve. And these are the tools that I can bring to bear. And so that's the place that I'm at. It's like, am I really fully ready to step into that uncertainty, knowing that loss and death may be an outcome, but death free is preferable to life as a slave. It, yeah. And I, I agree with that. Here's something that I would, I would give to you to consider though, in, in regards mm-hmm. to that, because again, this is something I've been struggling with as well, right? I mean, we, I think a lot of us have been struggling yeah. with this and, and trying to figure out how do you navigate this? And, and, and there's so many conflicting principles <laughs> that yeah. like you, so you have to figure out the hierarchy of these principles and, and where do they apply and, and where does pragmatism fall into that? But, but I would say this, so there's a couple things I would consider kind of some, some thought experiments. One of them is, is this idea, and, and I remember telling like a, a BLM protester this because I think this is kind of a good one to look at because you got these people that think that they're fighting for something good and right, <clears throat> and and in my opinion, they're completely wrong. They're not. <laughs> right. They're 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 actually the enemy. They don't realize they are. They think they're doing a good thing, just like Dale Carnegie would say. Everyone believes that they're they're doing the right thing and they're they're just. You know, you know, not that again. I'll caveat this since we're on a podcast is that I am not racist. <laughs> I don't think that the opposite of, I just don't support a, a completely political movement that is using, you know, the, the name black lives matter. That's, that's really a Marxist uh, self self-admitted Marxist organization. So, uh, but I, I was telling one of those processes. I was like, look, I was like, look, what are you doing here with this, this sign? Well, I want this, you know, blah, blah, blah. They told me, I'm like, okay, I, pretty much agree with a lot of the principles that you're saying, which is fine. But what are you actually doing? Like, are, are people watching this and, and changing? Are they, is it, is it, are you changing opinions? Are you actually making a difference? Like, I got a better idea. Why don't you, like, it's, it's daytime right now. You, you, you should be working. Like, you know, <laughs> why don't you get a job? Why don't you go and build a financial empire? Why don't you, build a YouTube channel and teach people about the principles that, that you're espousing here. Why don't you build the financial resources to actually donate or to, 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 to move, to, to actually create a real change in the world to, to be more power. Why fight the battle now? Why die on this hill? And again, this is a little bit of a different thing, but it's like, why die on this hill now? Like, is this the hill that you want to die? Like you always have to ask yourself in life because you only get to do it once really essentially. And sometimes it's a political hill and sometimes it's a career hill and a financial hill. And sometimes it's your actual life. But that's the question I would say is like, and it's the one I've been toying with myself. Cause at first when, when this whole thing came down, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not wearing a mask. You'll have to shoot me. And then I thought, like, is that the end? Is that really the, you know, the, the thing? Like, is it better to die on a different hill? Is it better to, like, survive this, to teach people, to, 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 you know, to educate people as this process happens, and then to start a new, a new government, a new society afterwards and, and clean up or to, you know what I mean? It's like, is that, like, what is the most, 
you know, taking fear out of the situation, what, what, is the, what makes the most sense, right? Uh, the other part about that I would say that is another good question to ask that I've been asking myself as well is, you know, because believe me, you know, there, there's an instinct in me that says, no, just fucking die, man. Just go out there and just like fight and just like, you know, maybe you should go to a political office and like make some shit happen. You know, like, you know, there's like, I, I have some pretty wicked thoughts sometimes, you know, sure, yeah. and <laughs> I'm sure we all do. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but, but the other thing to consider is, and, and, I, and I talk about this a lot on my YouTube channel, and I had to come to this because after getting so many emails and so many guys, and there's so many fucked up things in the world and so much that the world is going the wrong, wrong, wrong direction is I have to say, you know, my analogy is this is like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not trying to save the world because my viewpoint is that the world is careening into the sun. <laughs> the earth is going to, it's going to, it's going, it's going to burn up in a ball of fucking flame, but I have a spaceship and if you want to get on my spaceship, and now it sounds like a cult, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm welcome as many men as possible. I will teach you. I will I will teach you how to be a man. I will teach you how to live your life and how to get success, to make money, to to have a successful life, to the best in this fucked up world. Because I don't have the resources or the energy to save the fucking world. But what I do is, I if I can save a small percentage of you guys, and we blast off of this fucking uh, planet and into the ship. And, and, and again, this is a metaphorical. So in the sense that it doesn't matter, like we don't have control over what's, what's happening outside of us. Right. And so my way of saving men is saying, okay, well, given your circumstances, what's, what can you do? Like, how can you, like, you can live in this constant feeling of rage and, 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 and fighting and, and fear and, and whatever it is. And, and maybe some of those things are noble and, and they're good and because they can actually bring about effects. But, but maybe the, the better way, because if we really want to change society, and this is kind of my viewpoint on it, because it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm saying, yeah, that the earth is doomed, but there is one hope. There is one hope for society, which is this. We educate and strengthen enough men. We teach libertarian principles. We help people understand these things because once you get this, once you get like Stoic philosophy, once you get the libertarian principles of of, of property ownership and your right, to, you don't have a right to harm anyone. And when you understand why taxation is theft, because because someone's taking something from you at the end at the threat of violence. Like when you really grad like understand these things, and the more people that are educated and understand these things, then you create a society that is based on those things. Now, I realize this is a small probability play, but my my whole thing is like let's let's let me save as many men as I can by giving them as much wisdom in, in, in philosophy as possible so that they can optimize their lives and and not worry about what's happening in the news and worry about all what's happening in the world because the world is already going to a fucked up place and 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 re realistically there's not much we're going to really be able to do about it I wish there was if there is believe me I'm willing to pick up a a weapon and, and, and die for, for that cause if it, if it has an effective result. But, but that's, that's the other thing that, that I would look at is looking at it through that lens. It's like, you know, are we more effective, right? As men, right? Like me and you, if we're like, okay, we're going to raise an army uh, and, and, and we're going to gather all these guys and, and we're going to, we're going to arm ourselves and we're going to fight this. Will that result be more effective than the result of saying, you know what? Let's 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 teach guys to be self-sufficient, to not waste their energy and 
in in emotion on stuff that they can't control to become strong men, masculine men who understand these principles, who are waiting for the day when the tides will turn and and then there maybe needs to be bloodshed because it will actually be effective. So they're waiting and they're teaching other men and they're building up enough of an army that when the revolution time comes, that there's 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 a time that that we have enough strength to do that. And so that's that's the thing that I've been toying with. And and like I said, I, again, I could be wrong here, but my where I've landed after considering all these things is that the second is better. That instead, you know, let, let's I want to focus on on, on education mm-hmm. and, and 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 enduring to the to the point that because I don't believe that like if I truly believe that that we could actually change the course of 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 things right now, then then I'm I would be. I'll be the first to sign up, mm-hmm. but I I truly don't believe that that's 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 a possibility at this time. With with the we don't have enough men, we don't have enough enlightened people, we don't have enough people that understand yet. We need we're in the education phase, and and I believe that we need patience. And you know maybe this could have prevented been prevented if we would have started this a long time ago. <laughs> and you know, but I, I don't know. That's that's just. You know, again, and I go back and forth in this. I, I'm not saying that I'm absolutely, but, but I'm I'm landing more and more in this direction, and I feel like this is more and more the the right course of action. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to tell you what the Renaissance of Men is about and why. Okay. So you've got a spaceship, and uh, all the all the guys are jumping on board your spaceship. Alexander Cortez has a spaceship. <clears throat> Jack Donovan has a spaceship. Richard Cooper has a spaceship. Uh, Cobra Tate has a spaceship. There are all these men all over the world. Anthony Johnson has a spaceship. You know, all these men, George Bruno has a spaceship, et cetera. All these men all over the world are building spaceships to their communities of guys that they're, that they're trying to educate. And that, that is not a bunch of separate, indistinct processes. That is one singular process that's happening through multiple different, multiple different leaders, multiple different creators, just like happened in the Italian Renaissance, where there was Michelangelo and Leonardo, you know, and then there was Da Vinci, and there were these all these philosophers and painters, Botticelli, and you know these greats, greats of all history, that were all doing this thing, and there was no one leader, and then together they all came together and produced something great, and that's what the Renaissance of Men is about: is saying that this is an actual thing that looks like mm. it's happening through us as individual men in our tribes, but it's actually so much greater. And it's also 40 years old. Like the, the, the Iron John was written in the early 90s based on a series of essays that Robert Bly wrote in the early 80s. And so there was a whole movement starting then that we're now on the leading edge of. We're riding the front, front wave of it. And this is a thing with real power that's all around us and behind us. We just can't see it yet. And this army is building, and maybe we don't need to take up arms yet. Maybe we don't need it to to uh, beat plowshares plowshares into swords, or, you know, or or go be buying ammo. Do those things for sure because it's your right to do it. But maybe we're not at that stage yet. Maybe the battle is happening in conversation, in dialogue, on YouTube, in Twitter, out there in the world with saying, no, look at me, I'm a strong, fit, healthy man who cares for my immune system. And I don't need to cover my face because I don't have anything to infect you with. And I'm not worried about you infecting me either because I care for my body and I care for my spirit. 
that is the renaissance of men, is this movement that we're all a part of. And we all feel like we're isolated individuals and alone, or we're in our small, we're in our small little tribes and communities. But we're actually, as men, part of something much greater. And that greater thing is being expressed through us, and we're also creating it as well. Right. Yeah, no, that's I, that's I think that's a wonderful perspective, and that that gives that gives me a lot more hope, and I, I'm glad that you said that. I like the idea of of having a lot of spaceships <laughs> instead of instead of just one, and that's you know. So maybe we will hit the tipping point at some point, and and I hope that we do. Again, I I don't mean to come off in a very pessimistic way because I'm not. I'm I'm optimistic, mm-hmm. but I'm also pragmatic in in the sense that in in a lot of guys. This is this is kind of I guess one of my fears is that a lot of guys get caught up too much in this and the injustice of this thing. And believe me, I can. I could talk for hours on how fucked up all of these things are and and all and, and even beyond even before this started, I was already I mean, heck, the very first day that coronavirus was was announced, I made a live stream and I said, I don't care if if it has a fucking 20% mortality rate, uh, we should not shut down businesses and we should just if 20% of the population needs to die in order to preserve individual liberties, I and and people just were ready to fucking hang me for it. I mean, they're like, you're like when your grandma dies, you, I'm gonna replay this video for you and like you're gonna this is not going to age well. And so, so believe me, I am definitely as, as, as hardcore, you know, against this as I, as I can be. But, but um, I think a lot of the guys are just, some guys are too absorbed in, in too much feeling the emotion and anger of this instead of, instead of realizing that there's going to be a lot of shit in life that you're just not going to have to like deal with. And, and you, and speaking out against it, I, I agree and, and doing what you can, of course, but you cannot let this consume your life. You have to, like, you know, I, I really like what, you know, one of my good friends, uh, Brandon Carter, he's been, he did a couple of videos and, he, and his whole sentiment was, was like, look, it doesn't matter what the president is. It doesn't matter what kind of bullshit that's going on. Like, like you can still make money. You can still, you know, do, do things like, yeah, it might affect you to some degree, but you can still get all this stuff done. And like, like you're don't use this as an excuse. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, yeah, there's two sides of it, right? Like, it's like, we kind of have to weigh these things. But to a large degree, he's right in the sense that, fuck this, like, stop worrying about all this shit that's going on to, to a degree and, and focus on the stuff that you actually control and prove yourself as a man in, in your life. Like, you know, you, you have to live, you know, like I said, like, you know, again, it kind of comes back to this whole thing. And I, again, I wrestle with this myself, but if I knew I was going to be put into slavery for the next, you know, in, in you know, and it was inevitable, what, what would I do? I would try to live my best life as a slave if, I, if it was inevitable, if there was no way. Now, again, there's a difference between like fighting for your freedom, like, like give me liberty or give me death. That, that, mm-hmm. that sort of says that, you know, I would rather die a free man than a slave. I still agree with that. Those, like th- those two statements of me saying, like, if I knew I was going to become a slave, how would I live my life the best as possible versus those are not in contradiction to each other because, because w- what, what I'm saying is that, you know, the whole concept of like, I'd rather live free than, than die a slave is, is, is saying that there's, there's some kind of a choice that there's some kind of, of an option that's there, but most of our life right now, like it's, so I think another important important concept that I've been trying to really communicate to guys today is that you, you, it's almost like the matrix. Like you look around and you think you're free, but you're not, we're already slaves. 
we are already slaves. We're, you know, it's this, to use this, the plant, we're already on the plantation, right? <laughs> like you're already being, you're, you're already, you're already being, uh, you know, used for your, uh, sucked for your, your life force. Like, I mean, you, you sit here, you pay taxes, you know, some of us 40, 50% of our, of our income is stolen from us, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't really actually do what you think. Like if you, if you think that you own anything, you're wrong because try not paying your car registration, see if you can drive it or stop, try not paying your property taxes and see what happens to that property that you own. You don't actually own that property, right? It's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to do that you're compelled to and and there's not you you don't have a choice of it. So so there's an illusion that we're free when we're not. We're actually really, really, really slaves. You know, again, does that mean that we like allow our freedom to be taken even more from us? No, obviously not. But but I think it's important to understand that we are already slaves mm-hmm. and and that we have to live our lives in, in such a way understanding that that's that, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint you've got to, you've got to recognize there's a lot of things that are outside of your control and they're never going to be in your control. And, and you still have to you know, operate, you know, like being angry at like non-acceptance is, is the worst, worst plague that you can, you can bring upon your life is, is, mm-hmm. is to, to not accept reality. But mm-hmm. I don't know, that's just my takes on it. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. Like it is, it's necessary to go through this exercise of saying if this situation is inevitable and this, it, uh, maybe I find the situation acceptable. If I find the situation unacceptable, what am I willing to do about it? If I, you know, what am I willing to do about it? What am I not willing to do about it? Why am I not willing to do that about it? What's really behind that? Is this what I'll need to do about it? And that's the place we've all been taken to. You know, we recognize we're in an untenable situation. We are in fact enslaved. And there are many people, you know, who, who, who I'm reading and watching their YouTube videos and they're speculating about future societies that we could build out of this because we're not going back to the way things were. We're either going forward to something better or, to, or backwards and, or down into something way worse. And these are yeah. the things that we're all living with every day. So, I mean, it's really important as men that we talk about this stuff and that we don't pretend that that we have all the answers, but that like, like, you know, men rolling jujitsu, there aren't enough men rolling jujitsu on YouTube right now. Like not with conceptually, like, let's take our, let's take our ideas and let's bash into each other and roll around and see, you know, see if we can submit isn't really the right word. You know what I mean? But like, see if we can make some, something out of it. And I think it's really important to have these dialogues for that reason. Exactly. Yeah. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you with this is it's something that I've been trying to like even you know I reach out to MGTOW people and some because the thing that's really been been driving me nuts is that uh, within the men's community we have all these silos and it's like the, the the other side is the enemy and and even like when you look at stoic like or like like philosophical schools of thought in the in the Greek and, and Roman days they had like competing schools and they would have debates and discuss and not even debates because I, I hate to even say debate because like me and you right now we're not having a debate we're just having a discussion I'm not trying to like prove your points wrong so that I can get a point and win you know what I mean or, or we're both on the on the mindset of seeking a, the truth and so like well my whole horse in the race is to say, here's my stuff. Okay. This is all the logical which I come with. Please, please show me where that they're wrong. Cause I would love to like have a better understanding of the truth. So, so, so if you show me logically where, where things, okay, maybe I'm, uh, this is incorrect or this is good. Perfect. That's great. Cause now I've, I've gained from that cause I've gained a, a deeper understanding. And then we, and we've done this in a public way so that other men can consider these things and, and, and share and, and build their philosophies as well. So, yeah. So I think this is extremely, extremely valuable. We need to have more, more men 
having these discussions and, and dialogues instead of it being like, oh yeah, if you don't believe this, uh, you must be a simp. You must be a cuck. You know, this is being thrown <laughs> around like every, every time it's like, oh, oh, you're, you're must be a purple pill then, or that's a blue pill thinking, you yeah. know, to, and it's like, no, that this is, you know, stand behind like with, with some actual logical arguments and philosophy or, or at least a hierarchy of principles that you present me and say, well, this is inconsistent because this principle is, is would you agree this is a higher principle or not? You know, mm-hmm. I don't, like we've done here. I think this is, this is a good model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my, my principles, let's be teammates. Let's be teammates. Yeah. This isn't about winning. This is about working together. Exactly. So where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Well, uh, best place is go to bulldogmindset.com and then there'll be a quiz that pops up there, a little pop up, uh, go ahead and take the quiz and I will give you your bulldog score from zero to hundred. It's just like 10 questions there. And then I use that to kind of assess and, and give you material that will help you raise the score. And, you know, it's covers every area from finance to, uh, relationships and, uh, and, and health and all those things. And so, yeah, so bulldogmindset.com and, uh, yeah, that's it. This has been great. Thank you so much, Sean. I've really loved this conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Well, me too. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.